You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is the first episode of 2019 of They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 148. No, only, only in releasing time, because we're recording this on December 30th, my friend. Shut up. Am, <laughs> am, I, am I letting people behind the curtain of this? Is that what's going on? The Iron Curtain? Um, releasing, you know, revealing our, our trade secrets that we actually do record before we release. <laughs> yeah, we are going to be looking at our best and a little bit of our worst sort of first-time watches for 2018. This is sort of something we do every year on the podcast. We don't do a best of necessarily the year in question. We just because you know. we just don't watch that many things from this year, you know. Like it's a, so we just do the things that you and I have seen that uh, are worth talking about from from that year. Good and bad. And of course, I'm your uh, stalwart host, Lee Russell, and I'm joined by my lovely host, Daniel Harper. How are you doing, sir? I've had a few beers, in case you can't tell. It's, it's fine. Same here. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in a really good mood. I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I think we're both on the uh, recovery list here a little bit. Yeah, I've been I, sick for a few weeks. I'm still kind of getting over a little bit of a cold. Hopefully, yeah, it doesn't come through too much of my voice. And if you do, just blame the alcohol. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I had a lesser cold that I've just sort of gotten over as well. Daniel suffered a lot more than I have in the last little while, but yeah, we're well, yeah. supposed to do Shaun of the Dead in the last few weeks or like last week, and uh, mm-hmm. that didn't happen because I got sick. But hopefully, we'll do it in January. We'll figure it out. It's going to be fine. Yeah. So first off, I did put it out on the Facebook group. I should have really did this earlier. Uh, I really should have. So I apologize. But I, I just threw, sort of threw it out there tonight that if any of our listeners had a list of stuff they watched for the first time in 2018 that they really thought was great, they could throw it at us. Or if anything they thought sucked, they could throw it at us too. We did get one response. We got it from Jeff Williams, who is a frequent commenter on, on the Facebook group. He basically gave us a uh, top five first-time watches and uh, most enjoyably cheesy film. So I'll just quickly go through his top five here. He says, number five, The Unknown, uh, another great Todd Browning, Lon Chaney collaboration featuring a Muppet baby, Joan Crawford. Which, hmm. that, that that description alone makes me want to... Uh, yeah, no, uh, no, yeah, we put it on the list, definitely. Mm. One he mentions that I am familiar with, Alicarda, which is a uh, Mexican non-sploitation film. He says, surprisingly well-photographed non-sploitation out of Mexico. Tina Romero is my new girlfriend. Yeah. Fair um, enough, I, fair enough. I have I have seen this in the past. It's it's sort of it's not only a non-sploitation film, it's kind of like a art house horror film in, in some ways as well. It's out of Mexico, so that just makes it doubly more interesting to check it out. So yeah, I think that's I'm I'm always down for anything interesting. You know that. So. Yeah. His number three is Shanghai Express, Von Sternberg and Dietrich in top form. 
Is that the one with uh, Jackie Chan? I think that's not the one with Jackie Chan. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Unless Marlena Dietrich uh, was still alive at that point. I can, I can imagine Marlene Dietrich, uh, you know, being the uh, second banana to Jackie Chan doing, uh, you know, really inventive fight scenes. I, I think that would be a really uh, phenomenal film, honestly. I mean, it has to be better than Owen Wilson, right? Pretty much everything is better than Owen Wilson <laughs> all the time. There are probably some exceptions to that, but I'm just gonna let it ride. So, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. really, yeah, really, whatever, you. whatever you think you might want to cast Owen Wilson, just cast Luke Wilson instead. The better Wilson, honestly. The better Wilson. <laughs> the the only exception are Wes Anderson films, where uh, you know, for all well, my problems with Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson fits into that universe better than Luke Wilson. I think so. You know. Yeah, because he's yeah more sin- he's I guess. Because he's dopey and, you know. He's dopey like Wes Anderson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeff's number two, The Sweet Smell of Success. He says every character in this film is vile in the best possible way, but uh, Lancaster and Curtis take it to another level of despicable. Hmm. Interesting. I've never heard of this film, so. Uh... I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Okay. Uh, and his number one is The Bride Wore Black. Francois Truffaut duplicates Hitchcock's style and actually improves on the Woolrich novel by changing the ending to something even more fatalistic and inevitable. Jean Moreau is fantastic in the lead role. This sounds good as well. Look at him uh, talking about classic cinema. He's got Truffaut films on his list. I've got nothing of that caliber on my list. You know? i got to tell you, Jeff Williams watches a lot of good films. I follow him on yeah. Letterboxd and and he's 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 you, up you on sh- his shit. You you should replace him with me. Or you should replace me with him ultimately on this podcast. Except he probably would not tell the jokes that I do, which is two votes in his favor ultimately. So. <laughs> uh and as for his most enjoyably cheesy film, he says uh the three fantastic supermen absolutely ridiculous fumetto inspired action film starring Tony Kendall and Brad Harris of the Commissar X films and the guy who played Alley Cat in Sabata. Oh, okay. Um, Over the top, silly and enjoyable fun from Gianfranco Perolini. All right. Awesome. I think we should put all those on the list. In fact, I was going to say we should definitely do some noir Mm -hmm. this year. Noir and Spaghetti Westerns are the two that I'm definitely like we should do that this year. Spaghetti Westerns, I totally agree. No fucking vampire films. No, no. Vampire films are. No vampire films in 2019. uh, And I think all, all, all of those deserve to go on the at least possible list for this year. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, thank you, Jeff, very much. You're, you're always suggesting interesting films, so uh, that's good stuff. So I have nothing I want to mention that I've watched in the last little while, but uh, I know you do, Jano, so uh, I'll immediately just throw it over to you for that. Sure. I saw three films this week, ironically enough, because uh, I saw a couple of films over the Christmas break, and I got out of a film literally three hours before we started recording this. So, you know, and uh, I wanted to mention uh, one of those made my top list this year. The other two I will discuss briefly. Um, I saw Wreck-It Ralph 2, which is a really fun movie. I didn't love it enough to put it on my top 10 list, but if you like the first one, you're probably going to like the second one. I think uh, the one thing that this series, um, have you seen the first one at all? I haven't seen any of them though. Okay, I'm a I'm a big fan of these sort of like uh, CG animated uh, films in terms of you know just kind of comfort food viewing. My wife watches a lot of the Disney films, um, and this is a Disney production. There's a lot to love in this film, particularly in terms of the thing that this one gets 
that a lot of these don't is that you're kind of it, it follows a fairly complex emotional relationship between the two leads rather than sort of like because if you watch the trailer for like Wreck It Ralph 2, Ralph breaks mm-hmm. the internet, you think it's gonna be like you know, Ralph, like it's going to be a bunch of like internet jokes, you know, like, right. Oh, and YouTube and Google. And there's some of that in the movie. Like it's there. If that's what you're looking for, but it has a spine. That's really about the, basically what's a codependent friendship between these two people and how that kind of infects the world around them. And uh, it's, it's a fairly, you know, for a kid's film, it's, it's actually a really sophisticated look. I like this one. And the first film both kind of have this thing where, the sort of where you think the plot's going to end ends about two thirds of the way through. And then it has like another more movie that really kind of gets it kind of the consequences. And I, and I really like that about both of them. This didn't make my top 10 list, but it was a lot of fun. It's mostly out of theaters now, but again, if you like the first one, you're going to like the second one. This is a film that has, I think there's enough there that even if you don't have kids, you could still kind of enjoy it. So, um, Cool. You know, thumbs up for me. Um, the other one that I saw was Vice. Um, this is the um, oh, yeah. Over Wrong with Authority, which is one of my other podcasts that I do. We did The Big Short a little while ago, right. which is um, written or co-written and directed by Adam McKay, who's done a bunch of like comedy stuff. He's uh, anyway. Um, this is kind of his follow up to that. He's done some like TV work that's sort of, and this is him kind of uh, pushing his way into politics and and kind of cultural issues in the same way that The Big Short did. I think The Big Short is one of my favorite films of the last few years, honestly. I think it is very nearly a quote-unquote great film with capital letters, you know, Mm -hmm. that is marred by, you know, just sort of a slight issues that kind of knock it down from that, in my opinion. Uh, Vice, I really wanted it to be that. I literally went and saw it today so that I could put it on my top ten list, and it is kind of a giant fucking mess that nonetheless has some really brilliant stuff in it that's kind of difficult to talk about without actually talking about it. Kind of the, the, (laughs) you know, sort of the, like where the Iraq war came from and kind of like, Mm. you know, kind of the history of the early 21st century sort of thing. But I think it's exquisitely well-made. Although uh, Christian Bale outside of the big short continually unimpressed by his performance. I think he, he leans more into caricature with this. I think like if you're looking for someone who looks and sounds just like Dick Cheney, he does that. But uh, nonetheless, he he kind of comes across as really affectless and without, like, he doesn't really get to the heart of who that character is. And, uh, you know, the film just kind of does a lot of stuff without really, like, saying what's going on with the Iraq war and kind of who Dick Cheney was. And, And I think ultimately, I respect McKay for sort of making decisions as a filmmaker in terms of, like, the the version of this that he wants to tell. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately he's too beholden to the biopic format. He spends too much time on, like, Cheney's early life when the real, like, story is the story of the Iraq war, ultimately, and the coastal yeah. residency. And I think that stuff gets short shrift. He just kind of misses the point in a lot of ways. And, um, um, and and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a giant mess, although it's a giant mess with some really amazing stuff in it. And it's other than Christian Bale, it's exquisitely well acted. Out. Amy Adams is fucking phenomenal in this. Amy oh, Adams, she, like, she's Lynn Cheney. She's she, Cheney's <laughs> wife. And you know, it really brought me back to our first like pseudo episode. Mm-hmm. At, uh, what was it? American uh, Hustle. Yeah, where we talked about Amy Adams being like the greatest thing in that movie, like by far. Again, she is just absolutely top notch, phenomenal. She, I hope you know, 
she is sexy as fuck in everything she does. Mm-hmm. Even if she did not have her looks, I think she has the the like talent to be like she could be a character actress. Like she is amazing in this film. And if you uh, see it just for her, then you will not be disappointed. Um, there's a lot of other great stuff. I don't know. I kind of want to like see it with someone and like have more of a detailed conversation about it. I literally got out of it a couple hours ago and. I have lots of convoluted thoughts, but it is not on my top 10 list. And that's a disappointment because I really, really wanted to love this movie. Um, Giant mess. So probably worth seeing, especially if you're interested in that, but kind of a big swing and a miss for me. You know, I, I did see the trailer for it and for what it looked like, it looked like, okay, Christian Bale going really big. And, and if you, if you're saying it spends way too much time on Dick Cheney, the person before, Right, what the movie's really supposed to be about. I don't want to see that shit and then see Christian Bale spinning image, hamming it up as Dick Cheney. I don't know. I don't right. necessarily need like, that. Like, I mean, it's 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 just it's. I mean, the performance itself is just kind of flat. Like, I feel like it doesn't. So, to me, the the the, the great political biography of the last you know thirty years or so is Oliver Stone's Nixon. That's the great film of its of its kind that is the great american political movie ever made as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. and going into this i was kind of thinking based on how much how good the big short was i thought this could be that and i saw a lot of critics dismissing it but based on kind of bad what i thought were kind of bad arguments and like people you know kind of like wealthy <laughs> You know, wealthy liberals who just weren't going to like get what it was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the film really does. It really doesn't kind of do the thing it, sh- it should do. And it, it, again, a, a disappointment for me. And maybe I'll kind of watch it again and uh, have a little bit more um, of a uh, <laughs> kind of not think it's going to be like one of the greatest films of its kind and, and kind of like it more. I don't dislike the film. I mean, I still think it's it's worth watching, but it, it really just it just misses everything that I think is interesting about that era. It it feels very much like W, the uh, the oh, yeah. film about George W. Bush. In a lot of ways, it could you know it could serve as a um, kind of a double feature with that. It has a lot of the same issues and a lot of the same strengths. Although I think that the high points in Vice are better than the high points in W. But I think Vice, in terms of like the sort of central thesis misses the point more than Oliver Stone's W does, if that makes sense, you know? So, sure. you know, there's a lot of good stuff in, in uh, Vice, but uh, I'm, I'm just frustrated with it, you know? <laughs> so uh, we're going to take a, our first break here. We're going to play a little bit of music, some podcast promos, and then we're going to come back with our best and worst first-time watches of 2018. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, tune in, and on your Android device. Which versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself 
the podcast ice is gonna break. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable! At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Movie. Obviously, at 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history up. all yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. You go through your week with the same old routine. What you really want is some blood and thunder in your life. Well, friend, you found it. The Chromecast is an adventurous journey through the history of two-fisted pulp stories with your hosts, John, Josh, and Luke. We have action, horror, and adventure, all through the lens of pulp luminary Robert E. Howard. Don't just stay in your ordinary life. Find your pulp life at thecromcast.blogspot.com. The Chromecast. The Chromecast. The Chromecast. A podcast for the barbarian at heart. Shame. Cause you're gonna find it naturally. 
Okay, we're back. How do you want to do this, Daniel? Do you want to blow through our worst stuff first, get all the negative out of the way, or... Uh... Yeah, let's do the worst first, and then kind of come back to the best, because I feel like that's the way to do it. And uh, the way I always do these is I do them in uh, alphabetical order as opposed mm-hmm. to numerical order. I have three on my kind of worst list, and uh, one of those is is really just kind of disappointment, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing, um, as opposed to this is absolutely terrible. I just didn't see that many movies this year, honestly. Yep. So, you know, so I feel like uh, maybe we'll uh, kind of go, uh, I'll do one, then you do one, and then we'll, then I know you have more than I do, and then you can kind of well, go through uh, and, uh, I, think, I think this will work out because I have six on my worst list and you have three, so you do one, I'll do two. and then Yeah, that I'll... makes sense. Sure. All right. This should not be any surprise for anyone who's been following us for any time. A film that I put on my worst of this year, this year was Bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Netflix film that we did a, a full length commentary for, which I think uh, kind of uh, came down to at a certain point. I think you and I were both like, what the fuck is this shit uh, at a certain point? Um, really just go and listen back to that commentary track and you'll kind of understand like how terrible that movie is. Um, I might have actually watched this for the first time very late in the year in 2017, but it's worth putting on the 2018 list. It's just that bad. So (laughs) now that I think about it, maybe I I can't remember what I, if I first watched it for the the commentary we did or, or, and then, and then we watched it together, but I can't remember when I watched it, but it might've should have been on this list. I, I can't remember. But at the same time, I don't think I necessarily hated it enough. Like, I'm going by my sort of letterbox grades here on my, on my sure. list. So everything I hated was one star and a half or lower. Sure. Uh, and, I, don't, and, I don't do that stuff. I just kind of go back through. Yeah. I, go, I go through the stuff we do, and I go back through. Like, I look at our list, and I look at, like, the movies released in the year. And there might have been, like, a movie that I saw and just didn't, you know. Yeah. Anything that I kind of came in my mind. So it may very well be that you mentioned something and I go, oh, yeah, I hated that too. So, yeah. you know, let's kind of go from there. I think, I think Bright might, might have gotten two stars from me or something like that. I can't okay. remember. Yeah. No, I okay, so... really fucking hated that movie. So, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. So, just the first go one... look at Lindsay Ellis's video, Bright Bad. And everything, yeah. look at all Lindsay Ellis's videos because she's fucking she, she is amazing. Yeah. Anyway, first one, it's from 2016. It's called Passengers. Directed by Morton Tyledum, and it's starring Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. And this is oh right, the the rapey space movie. It's fucking repulsive. It's the level of just violation of another person that Chris Pratt's character does to Jennifer Lawrence in this film. It's not even oh he just rapes her in her in her cryopod or something like that. It's much more sinister than that. Right, and then right. it. And she eventually forgives him, which is just which, is, which only makes it worse, right? Yeah, no. It, it basically, 
No, I saw the ads for that and thought like, oh, that actually looks like kind of a decent little like sci-fi thrillery kind of thing. And then I saw the reviews, which were like, oh, and then like rape things happen. And I went like, no, I don't need to see that. That's fine. There's actually good sci-fi stuff in this, but then there's all of this basically you violated me in ways even worse than rape kind of thing. Like you basically sentenced me to a suit to death with you uh, on the ship without my consent and you lied to me to do it. And oh my God. And then there's Imagine Dragons in the soundtrack, which just, <laughs> I, I can't, which I can't only makes do everything that. worse. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get but, it. Oh my God. This is like, what, what were these two thinking when the, when their agents threw these scripts towards them? And it was like, Oh yeah, I want to do this film because my God, it is bad. Like it, it is so bad. It's, it's insulting actually. The idea that Jennifer Lawrence is like, eh, I'm okay with it in the end. This is like the perfect movie for any fucking incel out there who, who, who wants to find the, yeah, you know that that bitch deserved it. Like you know, she'll she'll come around. Of it, it just to hate it. That's uh, that's in a while land on it. You know, it's, it's terrible. Moving on, uh, another one I'll mention. First, we take Brooklyn from 2018. This just popped up on Netflix. It's from someone called Danny A. Abek Kaiser, I guess is his fucking name. It starts out kind of promising. Apparently this guy's just like this nightclub guy who has a lot of money, so he's just started getting the movies and make movies. And so he directs it and stars in it as well, which is not a good idea. It starts out promising. Is basically this guy gets released from a prison in Israel and comes back to the U.S. and... He, you know, he takes in with some relatives and basically just starts a life of crime. This is basically Martin Scorsese, the highlight reel. If Martin Scorsese <laughs> had brain damage, uh, yeah, sure. if you were to hit Martin Scorsese in the head with a wrench a few times and then tell him to go direct to generic crime picture. The most disappointing thing about this, though, is the fact that, oh, my God, Harvey Keitel is in this and he's oh. playing a, playing a Russian mobster. And he does he is, have a terrible Russian accent? Doesn't have an accent at all. That's the thing. Oh. He, he is, without a doubt, the worst rush, Russian mobster I've ever seen. It, it'd be understandable, like okay, so he's like a third generation Russian mm-hmm. in, in America, so he doesn't have the accent anymore, or something like that. But no, he's supposed to be like an old school Russian mobster who's running in op- opposition to our hero in this. He has no accent at all, and he's just and he's in the movie for like five minutes, and it's like enough enough of time to. If I was in charge of the Razzies, I'd be giving him like worst actor. And it sounds like they offered him fifty grand, and he showed up. I think know. so. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. It ends terrible. Like it, it just kind of ends too. It's, it's, there's no like real climax to the film or anything. It just ends. And it's like okay, uh, moving on. So, uh, what's your next one, Daniel? All right, this should be no surprise. Ghost Galleon. We did a bunch of 70s horror this year. Uh, you look back through our like history for this year, you look back through our 2018, half of it is, you know, 70s right. you know, vampire movies and horror and stuff, you know, just based on like our schedule. We just did that forever. Um, you know, uh, this was the only one that literally just made me fall asleep. This, this <laughs> you know, all the other movies we saw, I had like a memory of, I have, almost no memory of ghost galleon and that's probably a positive thing like really all i remember is like uh they're on a ship and they're you can't see anything and uh people are uh wandering around and then like uh vaguely skeletons stab at them or whatever and that's that's <laughs> that's, that's that's literally all i remember i have you know three seconds of footage in my head for this movie so yeah that's uh that's 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 ghost galleon for me um so 
And that's the only one of the uh, old movies that I actually put on my worst of list. We, we actually had a lot of, I didn't put a lot of my best of list, honestly. Uh, there was a lot of like, yeah, that was solid, you know, on my, on my list. You know, a lot of like nice performances, things that I enjoyed watching, but didn't quite make my best of list. Ghost Galleon definitely was on that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, w- I even kind of approached this film because I had, talk to you in court about it and i was no i'm gonna like this film i'm actually gonna like this film to like spite you and then like no no no, this is terrible no. <laughs> okay, uh the mummy from 2017 the oh the the the, the tom cruise piece of tom bullshit cruise, mummy, we've mummy. already discussed this one right so i don't know it's, that i i don't need to tell the same jokes again it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's terrible shit it's bad yeah, yeah. okay moving I on i had no uh, what I'll mention from Junpai Mizuzaki, it's an animated film from 2018 called Batman Ninja, and it's probably the worst DC animated property I've ever seen. It has an interesting visual style to it, but it's basically the idea is let's take Batman and put him in this convoluted plot of time travel where they go back to ancient Japan and then all of his bad guys have all of a sudden become feudal lords in Japan and he has to fight them all. And that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like, it's just <laughs> stupid. It's, hey, let's put Batman in this situation. It's like, no, you actually have to write a good story. You know? Yeah, no, no. It's all in the execution at that point. Like, okay, yes, the Joker is a feudal lord. Tell me a story now. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Yeah, it's, it's just horrible. So uh, moving on. Yeah. This one is one I like. I feel like it's it's hard to say this is the worst of the year. In that, technically speaking, it's pretty solid, and I've talked about it on the podcast before. But definitely on that sort of disappointment. I'm sorry, I paid money for this. Just on the, it's just a repeat of the first one, and that's uh, The Incredibles Two, uh, okay. which I don't know if you had a chance to see yet. No. Um, it it literally just you know repeats all the plot points of the first one. You know I really kind of avoided putting like uh, superhero movies on my list. Like last year I put a couple of the Marvel films on my list. This is the worst of the superhero movies I saw this year. Not even that it's terrible as much as what the fuck is the point of this except for to make a shitload of money and it made a shitload of money so good for you disney good for you pixar good for you brad bird and you know etc it literally is just a repeat of the first one it's not as good as the first one if you're in the place where you're going to see it you're going to see it but what the fuck is the point of this if you're going to make incredibles 2 do something more interesting with it and there will be another film that i'm going to talk about shortly which really just solidified this deserves to be on my bottom list. So, you know. All right. Okay, uh, last two I'll mention here uh, and get all this shit out of the way. Yeah, um, and then we get to talk about good films, right? Yeah, this one is one that I think solely got noticed because Jason Momoa is now Aquaman and mm-hmm. he's a big megastar. It's Braven from 2018, uh, directed by Lynn Olding. Does his um, mom turn into a bear? No. Too bad. No. Too bad. It's a throwback to 80s action movies in a way, because it's this idea of you have to suspend your disbelief. And basically, yeah, I buy that this big muscled up badass is just your typical family man who finds himself all of a sudden in trouble and has to save his family kind of thing. Like It's kind of like the commando formula, right? It's like, sure, yeah, yeah. oh, I, I buy that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the father to Alyssa Milano, and they just have this cutesy little existence. This is just a terrible, like, 
how can I put it? it? They just throw too much plot into this. It could have worked because I think J- Jason Momoa is an a- excellent action star. I think he's really yeah, good. Sure. Yeah. Um, but he looks like fucking Conan the Barbarian. He played Conan the Barbarian. And in this film, he's just depicted as this typical like business owner who uh, has to defend his family against drug uh, dealers. All of a, like if they just give him the slightest background, like if they mentioned, oh, his Navy SEAL past or something like that, just, just right. something. But it it hinges on it him being just this normal guy who all of a sudden is killing people with guns, throwing axes at people and shit, and murdering people. You know willy-nilly that are attacking his family and there's all these weird subplots and shit that show up and it's it's just a mess and it's filmed the, the, it's, key, the key with that kind of film is you know you keep it like really clean and really simple mm-hmm. and don't give us extraneous shit just deliver the goods and get out An- yeah another thing that bothered me is it's filmed in the maritime provinces here in canada it's filmed in newfoundland oh. but it's supposed to substitute for somewhere in the usa but they never tell you where uh it's it's probably it's probably supposed to be arizona you know i I believe that you know no it's a frozen wasteland so (laughs) no 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 that's that's how then you know that's my that's my thought you know yeah yeah but it's it sucks and since you mentioned commando i was just thinking i'm just gonna throw in a gag right here you know since we watched commando earlier i think we should do there should be a commando two only it should be now you bring Alyssa Milano back and she has to save her father from bad guys who are like going off and doing things in the desert or something. She should be the action hero, like saving old man Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know what? That's brilliant. (laughs) That is good. That's seriously good. I would watch that movie because I want to see Melissa Milano sweating in a tank top shooting at people. I, w- I want to see her, like, I just want to see a shot of her. A, I want to bring back Radon Chong today. I met your father 30 years ago, right? And then uh, I want to see, like, the montage of her drawing the, like, lines on her face and, like, sticking the knives and all the little vests and stuff. You know, uh, that's what I want to see. Yeah. The, the son of the main villain from the original Commando is trying to take revenge. So he, yeah, yeah. he kidnaps... Arnold Schwarzenegger and Ray Don Chong, who are now retired in their little country home. You know, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're drinking iced tea on the porch, and all of a sudden, this mercenary squad <laughs> jumps in and captures them. I'm going to torture you. I'm going to torture you. And and then, yeah, Alyssa Milano, she, she has to come out of, you know, whatever she's, she's doing. It, tur- it turns out that she's been working for, like, some secret government agency right. for, like, 15 years. And she's, you know, like, she's been working for the CIA. I mean, she's <laughs> actually... Did you see the conspiracy theory that, like, the real-life Alyssa Milano was supposedly going to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh during the Kavanaugh hearings? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because she was there. You know, there are like photos of her like staring him down from like behind his head or whatever. And uh, there was uh, some right wing chud who had <laughs> measured the distance and was like, Oh, yeah, she was there. She was gonna like for a day. There was a right wing conspiracy theory that Alyssa Milano was going to Alyssa Milano in real life, the actress was going to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. Get so. the fuck out of your parents' basement, you fucking idiot. Yeah. This is like, somebody who makes more money in a year than I make in a decade, I'm sure, by the way. My God, fucking! Uh, I got news for you, moron. Every fucking woman in that hearing was staring daggers at Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> There's multiple pictures of this happening where everyone was just looking at this motherfucker like, 
is he serious? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where I want the film to start is where she actually kills Brett kills. Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get Robert Rodriguez to direct just kind of the key, right? You know? He would do that too. I think he would. That, that's <laughs> do, it, do it machete style. <laughs> That would let's, piss so many people off. That's so good. Let's get Robert Rodriguez on the phone. I think we can make this happen. <laughs> get Robert De Niro back to play the Brett Canavaugh character. Because, yeah. I mean, he played such a good character in Machete. No, no, no. Let's, let's get let's get uh, let's get Matt Damon to do it since he did it on SNL. You know. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Robert yeah. De Niro can play her handler. I wish Melissa Milano was my handler. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I think Melissa Milano should machete style sleep with you know Lindsay Lohan and her mom uh, in, a, uh, in a in a scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's uh, Herbie the Love Bug era, uh, sure, yeah. Lohan. <laughs> she was of age at that point, wasn't she? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Okay. That's kind of like the tipping point right there. Um, so the last one I'll mention, and this is the worst movie I saw this year, and <laughs> I want to erase it from my fucking memory. I've been is... trying to avoid you having to talk about it, but uh, apparently we have to go there. So mm-hmm. this is directed by someone called Hector Hernandez, and I hope he never gets another job in making movies. Uh, you should just go back to whatever the fuck he did beforehand. It's called Day of the Dead Bloodline from 2018, and it is oh. a remake of Day of the Dead, and it is basically. Me too, the zombie movie because it's it's fucking terrible. the The entire concept is stupid, and one of the central focal points of this is is it involves the main female character who you know, Day of the Dead has a main female character, the original one. In this one, you mean it has a woman in it? Got it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. In this one, the bub zombie, quote unquote, is a guy who tried to. He's basically an incel rapist who tried to rape her before the zombie apocalypse happened. And he becomes a zombie. And, you know, just like Bud the zombie who starts to remember being human again, Mm -hmm. this one remembers he's a rapist. And there's a scene where he basically tries to attack her again. And it's the dumbest shit I've I've ever seen in years. It's just so stupid. It's the fucking... It's actually worse than... Uh, that first Day of the Dead remake from like the early two yeah. thousands or whatever. It's, yeah. this, it's this. This sounds like a delightful film for the whole family. Ultimately. It's terrible. It's so bad. I can't believe anyone. George Romero. I'm glad he's dead because, like, you tell me that premise. I can't even imagine the good version. You tell me you've got to make a movie. Here's the thing you're gonna do: write something good, and we'll throw a lot of money at it. We'll make it good. And I'm like, yeah, I don't get nothing. Like it's done. Yeah. No. The, this sort of line might work. Like that's the kind of edge lord shit that might have worked in like 2005. Right. But it's 2018, people. Like, come on, let's let's move on. It's it's so bad. It's terrible. And I. I'm, I want to purge it from my fucking memory. I hope this well, podcast. We can now no longer. We can now not talk about it ever again. We're yeah. done. So we can move on to our best of lists. First, we'll we'll hit the honorable mentions. I have no honorable mentions. I have ten movies on my list, and uh, so. Okay, so I'll just go through the honorable mentions really quick. Okay, so first one, The Swinger from 1966, George Sidney and Margaret Goodness. Like it's what what else what else can you say? It, it's 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 basically. And Margaret porn without nudity is is what it is. It's and, and it's glorious. 
Yeah, and let's see how sexy she is. Let's get really close to showing her naked with that fucking leotard thing she's wearing at one point, but we're not going to go there. All I have to say is paint dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Avengers Affinity War, Joe Russo, Anthony Russo. Huh. I like it a lot. I think it's probably the most entertaining Marvel film in a, in a long while. Like, everything's sort of come to that, mm-hmm. you know? Although... <laughs> I found a meme this week that kind of dispels the entire film. Thanos snaps his finger and turns half the universe into dust. And then you see the end scene where Nick Fury and a couple people turn to dust. Mm -hmm. They pointed out that uh, if it was daytime in Wakanda, it should be nighttime where where Nick Fury is turning to dust, apparently. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, we just need to scrap this entire franchise. We, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's over. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I actually rewatched that. I mean, you know, when I saw that, I saw that theatrically mm-hmm. and kind of left the theater slightly kind of wanting more. It felt like it was all kind of built up with no yeah. reward. But I rewatched it. It just showed up on Netflix. And I was like, I, you know, just kind of put it on, you know, drinking a beer, you know, before bed. And I watched the whole thing. And I'm like, once you know that, like, that's what the film's going to be, it's remarkably efficient at doing what it's going to do. That's, and that's, um, that's the point of the film. I'm, I'm the same as you. I went into it forgetting the fact that, yes, there's going to be a part two to it. So no, I knew there was going to be a part two, but I just kind of you don't it doesn't work on the rhythms of kind of what a traditional film is going to do, where it's going to kind of give you kind of a beginning, middle, and end. It's sort of this is the first half, and then sets up whatever's going to happen in end game, and so you kind of have to view it as part of that whole thing. But but once you know that's what it is, it does the thing it's going to do, and it's really entertaining at doing it so you know totally agree we're going to do in 2019 we're going to start a marvel cinematic universe podcast and so we will wait to discuss that in more detail when we get to that but that's you know unlike our long-suffering potential homicide the series podcast this one should probably happen in 2019 the, the homicide podcast is really just dependent on you know us having the like time and energy to go into doing something that actually requires us to use our brains. Whereas the, uh, the MCU podcast will mostly be, Oh yeah, let's watch a movie and then talk about it for 30 minutes, which is uh, much more where we are in terms of personality. We should get to the, uh, probably in like 2021 or so, we should probably start the homicide podcast. I think that's a good plan. You know, we'll get there. Future goals. Uh, uh, another one. (laughs) My friend Dahmer from 2017, uh, directed by uh, Mark Myers. Pretty good little character study on Jeffrey Dahmer. If you're looking for like a true crime film, this is not the film for you. It's much more interested in just kind of exploring what caused Dahmer to be Dahmer eventually. It, it does capture high school life very well. How he was ostracized and accepted for a while and treated like the school freak and stuff like that. Like, There's a lot of stuff you can like sort of I can kind of sympathize with Dahmer to a certain degree, you know? Like, yeah. you kind of see, Not like... Not up until the point he starts eating people. You're kind of yeah. like, oh, no. I'm with you, I'm with you, you know? Yeah, but you do sort of get a, a good feel of his early life and, and what led to him becoming what he became. So it's it's kind of a uh, precursor, prequel to a, a true crime film, is, is basically what sure. it is. And yeah. It's very good. It's very good. I liked it. Next one we'll mention, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Tayaka, what... Tiki, whatever the fuck is the Ta- name. Taika Watiti. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Taika, whatever your name is. I like it. It's funny. It's it's just it's a really good stopgap Marvel film. Like it's it's yeah. kind of hey, 
all that stuff that happened in the couple, uh, the first two Thor films, it actually built to something, and it's actually fun. And you know, yeah, I really love Thor Ragnarok. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite of the MCU. And it's, it's just, it, it's was just my, it was on my best of list last year. So you know, yeah, it's it's just super entertaining. What I'll mention uh, from Matt Palmer, Caliber from 2018. This is a really fucking tense suspense film about two guys who go on a. Uh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll, I'll thank uh, my friend Duncan McLeish from Podcast Under the Stairs mentioning this. Uh, it's called a stag do in Scotland. So it's, it's not necessarily your traditional stag party or whatever. It's just two friends go out before one of them's getting married and they just have like a, a last hurrah, you know, and have fun. So they go out on a hunting trip and one of them takes a shot at a deer and uh, misses the deer, but kills one of the locals in the small town that they take the hunting trick to uh, a local kid. And the father shows up and then the friend takes the extra step of killing him because he's a witness. And then they have to try to escape the town uh, without being suspected as being the killers. And man, the suspense in this really ramps up. I don't know if the ending necessarily lands as well as it should, but uh, I really liked it. Um, that, that sounds like one I'd like to see. We should uh, we should put that you know put yeah, it on the on baby Net- list. Yeah, on Netflix. So it's it's there. Patrick Bryce, uh, another one of his films is going to show up on this list later. But uh, Creep Two from 2017, found footage film. It's the sequel to the first Creep. It's benefited from being unchained because you basically already have sort of the like the background information and you sort of know about the the killer and creep and all that stuff so it it gets to explore and sort of stretches legs out and it's equally as interesting i don't know if it's necessarily as good as creep but it's still very entertaining and very creepy like it's called creep for a reason both films in the series are creepy as fuck so that works one will mention from jerry schwartzberg schwartzberg not schwartzberg schwartzberg from 1987 street smart uh this is one i did on cinema beef with gary hill where we did this and superman 3 because these were the two projects christopher reeve did with uh canon films so so uh he was allowed to make street smart if he was agreed to do Superman three with Canon films, Superman four. Yeah. Superman four. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> they're, they're both equally kind of crap, but <laughs> no, Superman three is a genius. Okay. I, well, we could disagree. To, to, to... Have you seen it recently? I've seen it in the last couple of years. Have you um, listened to the live commentary Kit Power and Jack Graham and I did on Superman 3? Because... I did, and it's not as persuasive as maybe you think. <laughs> I, I I think you're wrong. It's fine. Okay, it's all right. I, I don't like that film. But fucking Street Smart is not necessarily a great film. I mean, Christopher Reeves is just, he's kind of bland in it. Does but... he catch a bullet in his teeth? No, he doesn't. But wow. Morgan Freeman is amazing in this film. And this is Morgan Freeman's, uh, I believe it's his first film role. He plays this vicious fucking pimp. Charismatic, but vicious as fuck. And it's all about that performance. It's like a hidden gem that I th- I don't think a lot of people know about, honestly. You know, They just think of Morgan Freeman as the, what's-his-face went through a mile of shit. Andy Dufresne went through a mile of shit to get out of Shawshank and all that shit. It's like, no, this is Morgan Freeman just off the fucking chain fucking nasty, vicious pimp who's one time smiling at you and treating you like his friend and then next time he's threatening a hooker's life and it's 
pretty good just for that. Like it's it's definitely worth seeing. You know, Jonathan Demme wanted him to play Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, really? The studio refused to like cast a black actor. You know, out of you know a fear that it would look like they were making it like a black man was a serial killer sort of thing. You know. Oh, well, which it's 1990. I understand. Like you yeah. know, there are ways of kind of dealing with that issue that. Maybe, you know. But you know what? That's way more interesting, too, because there's so few black serial killers, too. Yeah. That That is actually fascinating concept. Give me a black fucking Hannibal Lecter. I like that idea. That, that's actually pretty <laughs> fucking brilliant. But he'd be perfect for it. God damn, he could do that. If, if you watch his performance in this, you could you could see, like, yeah, he could do that. He could do it. Yeah, that's a detail I learned reading uh, Which Lie Did I Tell, which is William Goldman's second book about screenwriting. William Goldman died this year, so nice, nice. go read that book. Yeah, I think I should. <laughs> I'll mention Carnal Knowledge from 1971, Mike Nichols. Um, that's a depressing film. Uh, I, it, I still... It's on my list. You can you can move on. <laughs> okay, yeah. Small Town Crime from Isom Nellis Nelms and Land Nelms. Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with their work. If they've done anything else, but this is a. Uh, do you know the actor John Hawks? Yeah, I know him. Yeah. He was. Uh, he's in Deadwood among among yeah. other things. Yeah. Really good character actor. This is one where he gets to carry the film, and he does an admirable job as this guy who basically takes on a murder case. He picks up this prostitute who's half dead on the road, and she dies, and he basically feels determined to try to find out why she died. So he pretends to be a private eye and goes around <laughs> and does a private eye job, and he's this horrible drunk, like this horrible alcoholic but it's a really good little sort of character study in neo-noir, and uh, I thought it was really well done. And that, that sounds – I would definitely like to see that, so definitely put it on our list. Sweet. I'll also mention Cam from 2018, uh, Daniel Gold, Goldharbor. This is an interesting one. Uh, it delves into the life of cam girls. I mean, if you're familiar with My Free Cams or something along those lines, uh, very I much – no knowledge of this. Okay. <laughs> Never heard um, of it. Hold on, cam girls. Please tell me more, my friend. No, but this is a really in-depth, respectful kind of look into their lives. It you know it treats sex workers like actual professionals who do their job, and it's also a really disturbing, uncanny horror tale as well because some really weird shit happens in this film. I think the film maybe falters a little bit at the end because uh, where the character starts and where she ends up kind of feels maybe a false note. I don't know. I think I need more opinions on that. I think I need to discuss it with people, but it's really well done. Uh, you had the me way- cam girls, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like We should do a series of like films about sex workers. I think yeah. we could do a month of films about sex workers this year. That works. That works. But it's it's really good. Uh, it really does get into that world. Um, creepy stuff that happens with the cam girls. Like it's it's basically a plot where uh, the cam girls are being replaced by exact du- duplicates by a really weird means. I don't want to go into spoiling it too much, but that is not as creepy as some of the men in this film who are the sponsors of these cam girls. Like the frequent guys who. You know, like the guys who are giving tokens to all their favorite cam girls and like boosting their rankings and stuff mm-hmm. in, in campsites and stuff like that. It's fucking. Oh, uh, oh, those guys, Lee. Yeah, those, those guys. guys. Those, those guys. Uh, do you know what those guys are like, Lee? I think you might know what those those guys <laughs> are like. 
See, I, I wouldn't because I don't have a credit card, so I can't give tokens. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they don't, I can, they, don't have, they don't have credit cards in Canada. I get it. It's fine. No, I just I just don't have credit cards uh, because I hate them. So, yeah, I only watch. I don't fucking throw money at these women. So, um, yeah, there you go. And uh, the the final one I'll mention from 27. Shut, shut up. Stop laughing. Uh, our backwards Canadian ways where we don't have credit cards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, final one I'm going to mention T2 Train Spotting from Danny Boyle. I thought it was a really great follow up to the original Train Spotting. It has the perfect balance, it has the perfect tone that you would expect from a follow up from that film, where the first film is very bombastic and in your face and gross. This film is much more reserved and it's much more about these guys and how they've somehow survived. 20 years later and they're just losers. They're still fucking losers. And no matter what they do, they're fucking losers. Uh, but now they're burnout losers. I, I thought the performances were great. You know, if, if you can buy that these guys would survive 20 years later, then it really is a really satisfying follow-up to the first film. You know, it's funny how that film kind of came and went really quickly in terms of, you know, I feel like it was sort of like hyped and then just sort of disappeared. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it's actually really good. Yeah. I mean, it. I, I guess maybe some fans of the original were expecting like more of the same kind of thing. Like, oh, you know, uh, Renton and his buddies running around the streets doing gross things and getting heists and all kinds of weird shit. And it's like, no, it's an, a sad adult Renton and, and sick boy fucking going to some shitty sad club and stealing people's wallets and shit like that you know <laughs> right yeah, yeah it's, it's it's very it's very depressing and it's very much what it should be it's it's like these guys are still fucking losers and then sure. no yeah so yeah there we go well, so uh, i have i have one more detail to add about a movie i talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh wreck it ralph 2 if you're at all curious you know and this kind of came up in my mind as you were talking if you're at all like curious about whether or not you want to see the film. So if you saw the trailers, you saw there's a scene where uh, Penelope or Penelope, uh, who's the Sarah Silverman character, a little girl goes and meets all the like former Disney princesses because it, Disney owns all this. And so like, there's like, there's a, there's Marvel stuff. There's star Wars stuff. I mean, that's one of the joys of the film is that it's all kind of one thing. Like Disney owns everything now and Mickey yeah. Mouse will never go out of copyright. And um, that's horrible. But also, uh, you get to see all this in one movie. So Vanellope goes into like a like a dressing room where all the Disney princesses are. Well, what you didn't see in the trailer was, you know, they realized that uh, Vanellope is wearing all these like comfy like sweaters and like hoodies and stuff. And they call her the Comfy Princess. And then it cuts to the you know Sleeping Beauty's birds. They make like clothes for all the other girls. And then you can see like the Comfy Princesses. And it's one of the sexiest things I've seen. Mm. You know, if you have any fantasies about Disney princesses, uh, for me, seeing them all in, like, comfy sweaters and, like, T-shirts and pajamas, I just want to see the the After Dark version of that because (laughs) you know there's hardcore fucking going on. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure sure that will be on Pornhub. uh, Yeah, no. It's not already. Yeah, no, it was was pretty delightful. And it's just a great little scene. And it was definitely on that, like, oh, this is a very happy, and it's not like it's they're not pushing that at all in the film. But in my head, it was like, oh no, no, this is a very. I want to go and hang out with the comfy Disney princesses and be like, 
<laughs> I have re- I have really soft shoulders, ladies. It's fine. I kind of want the uncomfortable Disney princesses, you know, the ones that are you know going to hurt you a little bit, maybe. No, well, well, that's that's fair, but I would like them to be comfortable because uh, you know they can go either way. way. Like honestly, just yeah. honestly, just the entire Disney princess lineup, whatever. You yeah. know, I think we should take a break and then we'll come back to our best of list. Cool. You ungodly warlock. Warlock. All right, back. We're back, and uh, we'll go through our best of 2018 first time watches. So I have a list of 15. You said you have a list of 10. Sure. Yes, I have a list of 10. Okay. So uh, do you have like a, a numbered list? I do have a couple at the end of it that are the absolute best of, but the rest of them are just sort of toss ups kind of thing. Okay. So so why don't you give me like a couple of your toss ups first, and then that way we'll kind of alternate a little bit more. 
why don't I just give you my first five and then we can alternate after that? That sounds good. Yeah. So uh, my first one is from 2015. It's Remember by uh, Adam E. Gowen. Yeah, no, I, I've been wanting to see that ever since you mentioned it to me. Yeah, it's Christopher. Been on, it's been on my, I put it on my um, Amazon Prime, you know, watch list. Mm-hmm. And then like everything I do, I just put it on the watch list and then never actually watch it. So you know. Christopher Plummer as basically gets enlisted. He's in an old folks home and he gets enlisted into becoming a Nazi hunter. And he escapes the old folks home basically and goes to seek out this guy who is this who was apparently this Nazi who killed his wife and uh was you know was like a commandant of a camp or whatever and there's a twist in it that I uh definitely will not spoil but the film never feels like exploitation it never feels uh like it's lying to you it never feels cheap it it all works and the twist is very emotional when I first talked about it at the beginning of the year as one of the films I watched that one of the reasons that this really stuck with me is because the main character is suffering from Alzheimer's. So it it reminded me of my grandfather. There, there is a bit of an emotional connection there, but his performance rang true. Like the, the performance was fucking spot on. Like I, I experienced the same stuff from my grandfather, basically The, the, the same sort of way he did things and thought and reacted and, turned on a dime kind of thing. So I really like this one. I think a lot of people should see this. It's it's a really good little film. And at the same time, it's a Nazi hunting film, killing Nazis. So <laughs> Which is always going to be a good thing. Yeah. It's yeah. very 2018. <laughs> <laughs> from 2017, Wind River from Taylor Sheridan. This is starring Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen, the good Olsen. Uh, not one of the Olsen twins, but the actual talented Olsen. Just this really good suspense thriller set in a really frozen wasteland. And it's probably Jeremy Renner's best performance. I, I love the fact that Jeremy Renner's this... I think everyone tries to pretend he's a pretty boy actor, but he's like an ugly motherfucker. And he's just oh, a really... Sexy as a motherfucker. Like, you know... No, but, I mean... But, he, not in a, but not in a pretty way. He, I would equate him with a guy like Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig yeah. is not a traditionally handsome man. But have you I, seen I, his penis? I, I might have seen it on film. I can't remember, but... Yeah. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't, that's not that's not how I equate. Uh, there are there are photos of Daniel Craig's penis online. Is all I'm going to say. You know? Okay. Well, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's better than mine. But uh, <laughs> fucking, if only because it's attached to Daniel Craig. Right? Well, I mean, I mean, come on. It's it's definitely had more miles on it than mine has. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean Daniel Craig, I, I love because he's he's not a traditionally handsome dude, but he's a great actor, and he pulls off James Bond. Like he, you still believe he's James Bond. He's sexy. He's irresistible yeah. to win. Jeremy Renner, he's I think he's in the same sort of league as that. Like he's he's not a traditionally handsome dude, but he works as a leading man all the same, as far as I'm concerned. I feel like Jeremy Renner could totally have a career doing like romantic comedies in the way that like after um, the X-Men films, Hugh Jackman kind of did a bunch of uh, romantic comedies for a while. You know, I kind of feel like Jeremy Renner could do that if he, if he wanted to, but you know, I don't really want to see him do that. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to see him in a coffee shop talking to like fucking. Uh, if you, I I could totally see him like hanging out with Jennifer Lopez, you know, making coffee and, you know, and then they get together at the end. And I think I would like to see that personally. 
but you know, mostly and, 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 yeah. and Michael Caine drops in as their eccentric older neighbor in the apartment building, you know, and he has a romance with Kathy Bates or something. It's like it's that. it's Alfie too, is what it is. You know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, no, that's not gonna happen. But uh, <laughs> return of Alfie. There we go, you know. Uh, but yeah, Wind River's good. it gets really gritty and uh fucking super serious at the end, but it's really well done. From Junya Sato from nineteen seventy-five, the bullet train. And this is a Sonny Chiba film, although Ooh. that's over that's overselling it because Sonny Chiba is actually a minor character in this film. Although, you know, every time you see this film on a collection or DVD, it's like Sonny Chiba, the bullet train. This is the precursor. It's 20 years ahead. It's basically what speed ripped its plot off from. Sure. Except for instead of being on a bus, it's on a train. Bomb on a train. If the train slows down, the bomb will go off. Very simple plot. Sonny Chiba is still really, really good in his minor role in this as the train driver, but it's it's really well done. It's a really good action film from uh, Japan from 1975, so there you go. Um, from Lynn Ramsey from 2017, You Were Never Really Here. Joaquin Phoenix is a mm-hmm. hitman. Uh, I mentioned this one before. Yeah, It's really well done. A hitman with uh, PTSD. And he is a guy who is ex like, you know, special forces. He's now like tasked as like a specialist who recovers kidnapped victims uh, from, you know, for the, for the families of rich people, you know, who are are prone to uh, the threats of having their loved ones kidnapped. And he gets in over his head on a, in an intricate plot called these uh, rich fucks who basically use him as a pawn. And Joaquin Phoenix just gives us really great, physical performance like he bulked up for the film he's he's definitely he, I, again like i i mentioned before he's not fat he's just burly would be the would be the word yeah. for it and, and he's believable as this guy who can just like take a massive amount of punishment and still fuck people up and it's another one that i think is overlooked quite a bit from the last year or so and uh we're checking out to finish off the sort of uh, five floaters here, Written on the Wind, 1956, Douglas Sirk. Mm. Uh, I love this fucking film, man. Glad we did a bunch of, of these. The performances are great. Melodrama. It's really well. I don't even know what to say. It's Dorothy Malone. It's Dorothy Malone. Amazing. And um, Douglas Sirk, you know, probably one of his great films. I mean, mm-hmm. just this phenomenal little satire of... Uh, this would have gone on my list... I put another Dorothy Milan on my list because I figured you'd put this one on and I wanted to kind of break it up, but this could very easily. I mean, this was literally on my list until I took it off to put another one on. Five minutes before we started recording, I switched right. it for another one. This is a phenomenal film. Everybody should see it. 19, what, 1956? Yep. Check it out. Just seriously, it's amazing. It's, it's good, even if it's not in your usual wheelhouse, because I mean, that's that's where I come from with, with this. Like, it's Daniel throwing this weird melodrama from 1956 at me. The only catch for it was like Dorothy Malone's in it, so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna check it out. But otherwise, this is kind of something I would generally never watch. And I watched it, and I loved it. I sat down, I was watching MST3K over the holidays, because I was sick, and I know people don't like MST3K. I know you're not a big fan, I was watching the MST3K, the gauntlet, you know, it was just kind of my comfort food while I wasn't feeling well. All the problems that you have, I, I don't disagree, but it still makes me happy. Mm-hmm. When MST3K is good, MST3K is good. Dorothy Malone showed up in one of the films. 
Really? It was amazing. Yeah, she showed up in a we it's it's actually a, an interesting film. I don't have the title on my off the top of my head, but I think I think we might have to do uh, a couple of those films I saw on MST3K. I'm like, that's actually a pretty decent film that uh, would be worth talking about on this podcast. Anyway, it was delightful to get to see her when I wasn't expecting her. She just showed up. And I'm like, oh, Dorothy Malone. It's great. She was like the mom, you know, which, you know. I, well, I mean, any anytime Dorothy Malone. This was a film from like 1979. So, you know, it's, right. obvious, okay. it's 25 years later or 20, 23 years later or whatever. But, you know. That's like, that's like the tail end of her career. Like after that was TV for her mostly. But yeah, was, I mean, really like her last film performance was 89. You know, that was in Basic Instinct. Right. Which I think we should also do it. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, we're we're down to our top ten, so we'll alternate, and uh, I'll let you start, uh, Daniel. Sure. First one I'm going to put on my list is Black Klansman. Mm. Uh, that's and again, I'm doing these in alphabetical order. I don't uh, put these in, in right. uh, you know, I don't like ranking films. Uh, anybody who's kind of new to this podcast, I just like to kind of say these are ten films that I really enjoyed that I'd like to talk about, as opposed to these are the ten best films I saw this year, you know, sort of thing. So, uh, Black Klansman. I have deep problems with this film. First of all, they make a big deal in the film saying like, oh, this is actually a real story. It's not a real story. Um, <laughs> even the uh, the guy who's kind of dramatizing the film who wrote the book that the film is based on, he's like, yeah, and all the notes were destroyed by the FBI because they didn't want us to know the secrets or whatever. Oh. Um, yeah, it's, it's fucking bullshit. And even there's stuff in the film that isn't even in the book. All that kind of came out after I saw the film and I talked about it briefly on this mm-hmm. podcast before. Also, the idea of, yeah, let's talk about racial justice in the 70s and, like, make the cops the heroes. No, that's not. That's not yeah, that's it. kind yeah. of. Um, there's some deeply problematic shit at the heart of this film. And yet I think there's some also some really, really great stuff in this film. Um, this is a film I'd like to cover in detail on, on this podcast with you at some point. Again, I'm kind of making a list of stuff I want to do this year, and this is one I definitely want to do. I have a lot to say about this film, and I kind of want to save it for when we can actually talk about it. Well, I, I figure um, I figure Daniel, since for <laughs> half of last year basically was all like, shut up and watch this, Daniel. I think you'll have a lot more prominence this year. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I, I, def- I definitely do want to uh, cover this at some point, um, mostly because I have a lot of things I'd like to talk about. I think it's definitely worth seeing, though. I feel bad that I didn't get to see Sorry to Bother You, which was the um, oh, yeah. kind of the other big, you know, kind of the, the black filmmaker who was, um, I, I didn't see that this year. Unfortunately, I kind of missed it in theaters, and then I just haven't gotten around to seeing it on demand or whatever. I have every expectation that would have also been on this list if I had uh, gotten the chance. Heard nothing but good things about that. Yeah, that's supposed to be amazing. But Black Klansman, you know, as someone who knows a lot about this world at this point, Mm -hmm. uh, this film struck me as uh, really powerful in some unexpected ways, um, despite all of its problems. And I would, I would recommend it. You know, so nice. First one for me. Uh, from 1966 by uh, several directors, Mario Bogolini, Mario <laughs> Monticelli, Antonio <laughs> Pietrangelelli, and Lucienio Salas. I totally butchered those names. The Queens. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love you talking. I love you doing Italian names above all else. Yeah, I want to do a bunch of Italian films just to listen to you mispronounce vowels. For I'll, just, I'll, just, you know. I'll just butcher them all for you. I mean, yeah, it's good. Yeah, but no, I, the, queen, I, the Queens it did not make my list. It was very near to making my list. It was... I, I love anthology films, and I especially love anthology films where 
I fall in love with all the women in them. And yep. mm-hmm. my God, it's it's so good. Uh, the greatest silhouette in the film uh, mm-hmm. that we saw this year, uh, I think. Claudia Cardinal and uh, yeah, the Queens. It's, it's and, th- and that was tough competition this year. <laughs> it was. We had some sil- silhouettes in, in this in this year, yes. But uh, this film did it for me. I fell in love with an Italian pop singer because one of mm-hmm. her songs was featured in this film. Yep. And, I, hope, uh, I hope that ends up in the uh, in the in this episode. It will. The, the actually, will go out on that. I think. But uh, yeah, I, I love everything about this film. Even though you know some of the segments were not as strong as others. That's that's an anthology. What can you do? I think the thing for me is that the thing that kept it from being on my top list was just the that there was stuff that I just didn't get about it. You mm-hmm. know, that didn't transfer. And you know, that's not even a fault of the film as necessarily. As much as like, I feel like it's making it's doing some things that I just don't understand. I that were like very like Italy in the late '60s specific, right? You know? Right. And and I mentioned, I, I think I mentioned that as well when we reviewed it. And I mentioned it in my letterbox review that you know there there's definitely some like cultural stuff I wasn't getting. And I've I've watched it three times since then. Oh, nice. I love this film. It's it, it's actually a, like just this weird, spectacular little time capsule of like all these beautiful women just giving their all in, in these nice little vignettes. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's like almost singular. Like I can't think of any other film. Yeah. Quite like it, I'm, so. I'm glad you loved it. It was literally a rare less discovery for me. It mm-hmm. was just a, a title that showed up and I read the synopsis and went, let's do this film. I loved it as well. It didn't make my list for, you know, just, you know, kind of reasons of there was other stuff I would rather put on the list. But it's a it's a really, really phenomenal film. And uh, I hope we do more films like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, your next one. Sure. Um, Captain Kronos. Ah. Which I don't even have much to say about it, except it was really fun and really Mm -hmm. goofy. Another great silhouette in a film. You know, mm-hmm. so we're gonna go there. Thank you, Carolyn um, Monroe. For me, that was the, it was memorable in a way that a lot of the other uh, films that we did and that genre were not that they weren't good, but they were less memorable because this one was kind of singular in terms of its tone. It feels a little bit Princess Bridey in terms of right. you know, kind of like approaching that sort of. We know this is for fun. We're not doing this. You know, we're not really taking this all that seriously. It's got a great comedic like hanging of a vampire kind of thing <laughs> it's got a great kind of like um buddy comedy kind of action hero duo it's got a great female lead who has an amazing silhouette and you know it's got a great swordsman yeah. fighting vampires and honestly I, I wish there were like three of these i wish this had been a trilogy so we could have enjoyed all of them because i feel like this was a step in the right direction for kind of late period hammer and one of my favorite films from that kind of genre that we that we covered you know it really did deserve a film series or at the very least it needs a revival where someone could do like a Netflix series at this point. Like, yeah, sure. Do, do, the, do the fucking Captain Chronos Netflix series revival. Oh, can you imagine like a 13 episode hour long Captain Chronos series of mm-hmm. you know, going around and doing like goofy killing of vampires sort of thing? Like it's totally the sort of thing uh, Netflix should do. And uh, you could take the same tone and just like adapt it over and, you know, do it the same way. I, this was just, it was one of the, the same way the Queens was just sort of like a fun thing you got to see. Like this was just super, super fun for me to sit and watch it. I, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Uh, next one I'll mention for 2014, Creep. 
from Patrick <laughs> Bryce. So creep, so creep two made your honorable mention. Yep, creep major. Okay, okay. Creep is a really disturbing found footage film about a serial killer and i don't want to spoil it too much i think it's very engaging the way it's done it's you know it's not quite blair witch level for me as far as found footage films goes but it's close and i think just the performances they're very naturalistic but at the same time they really do kind of suck you in and i found myself enjoying it like i found myself believing that the guy who's behind the camera would be entranced and enticed by this uh, creepy motherfucker to film him, which is sort of the premise of it. Like he's, he's basically hired by this guy to film basically a, what he says is a uh, goodbye. Here's who I was kind of video letter to his son. Cause uh, he's dying of cancer. He says basically kind of thing. It's, you know, spoilers. It turns out not to be that, but it's really really well done even when things get weird i still believe that the the guy behind the camera would stay with this guy and film him just Mm -hmm. because you get the sense that the guy behind the camera is kind of really fucking lonely and is looking for sort of some sort of human contact even though he's trying to do it through the lens of the camera so there's some deeper things going on there in the film it's deserving of the sort of reputation it has, which uh, a lot of people kind of say it's kind of like a sort of a modern horror classic in, in a lot of regards. So, and I kind of agree. With I, that. I, I have a uh, sort of a, an online acquaintance who has said that, you know, the greatest eras for uh, horror are like the thirties, the seventies and right now. Is you that know. um uh sad marsh ghost? It is, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I I follow him as well on Twitter, and I agree yeah. with him. Yeah, yeah. Go follow sad marsh ghost. <laughs> he, he is he is excellent. He is excellent. If if you want to follow he, he someone, knows, he knows the shit. He knows the shit. You know. Yeah. If if you want to follow someone on Twitter who who knows their horror and talks about it intelligently, that's definitely someone to follow. Yeah, definitely. So your next one, sir. All right. You mentioned earlier, I kind of cut you off, uh, Carnal Knowledge. Uh, Mike Nichols, really deep character study of these yeah. uh, two characters going over uh, decades, uh, you know, three, four decades worth of, worth of their lives. Phenomenal Anne-Margaret performance. Not the last yeah. Anne-Margaret performance on, oh. my, on my list. But honestly, I have not gotten a chance to rewatch this film. I know that Jack Graham has kind of mentioned wanting to kind of delve into this a little bit more with me. So hopefully we're going to do that at some time in 2019. Um, this is, uh, I hate like you and I do it. And then like Jack and I kind of go off and do another like, no, well, I, I like that. I, I endorse that because <laughs> you'll, you'll definitely get into some stuff that we didn't get into. So yeah, uh, no, it was, I, I really feel bad. This, this is one where, you know, kind of watched it and just knew there's like so much shit in this that I'm just not going to have a chance to really analyze in detail for, for our podcast. Not the last time I'm going to say that on this, on this list. <laughs> um, really amazing film. Really uh, kind of deep character study. Some problematic stuff, which I think is mostly intended by the film as well. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's kind of aware of the foibles of its characters. Um, oh yeah, no, this film knows um, how shitty the people in it are. Yeah, but but I mean, it's kind of one of those things where a film made in the kind of the mid seventies, where you're kind of or the early seventies, and you're kind of like, yeah, it kind of gets what's going on, but it's also kind of missing some stuff. I think this film mostly is, you know, like 
mostly kind of knows how terrible these people are, even from a 2018 perspective. Yeah, yeah. Which which is uh, kind of useful to know. Although it is a, um, as as you kind of intimated, it's a kind of a deeply unpleasant watch at times. Uh, this is not kind of a fun like, oh yeah, put it on before bed or you know like a deep movie kind of thing. You know, I can't imagine this being a, a movie you'd you'd uh, bring a girl over and go like, well, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's listed like my God. It was promoted as a comedy in some markets, and it's listed yeah. as a comedy in some places. Of the internet. Can you conceive of someone taking like a girl on a date? Let's go see this comedy. It's going to be a romantic comedy. Carnal knowledge. I can imagine the '80s sex comedy version with like Candace Bergen <laughs> going like, "Oh, look at me! I've got two boys who want me." You know, and then uh, you know you sit down and it's like a. It reminds me of the, there's a Simpsons gag where uh, the boys, they get a fake ID and they go to see Naked Lunch. And uh, they walk out and they're like, you know, there are two things wrong with that title. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about, you know, this um, brilliant film. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Hopefully I will get a chance to uh, to kind of revisit it and uh, and kind of go into it in more detail, but uh, definitely worth your worth your time, you know. Definitely, yeah. Totally agree. Some great performances. Um, Probably, I mean, as much as Anne-Margaret, phenomenal performance in this mm-hmm. film. She's a secondary character in this. I mean, Jack Nicholson, Art Garfunkel, yep. and, uh, and uh, Anne-Margaret, three absolutely top-notch performances. Like, wow. Fucking Art Garfunkel is actually really good in this. Wow, who would know? And even though, you know, true, Anne Margaret's a secondary sort of performer in this, she stands out. I, oh, like, yeah, her, her and Candace Bergen are both, I think, equally powerful uh, in this. It's, and it's good and stuff. for me, I kind of grew up with Candace Bergen as uh, Murphy Brown. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you kind of grew up with Murphy Brown the way I did. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I watched it as a kid, and so I kind of know Murphy Brown. I, I kind of know Candace Bergen like in the eighties and her like forties, but you see her like here and it's like, I mean, dear God, like mm-hmm. she's gorgeous and she's yep. phenomenal, you know, and she's not doing the, she's not doing that character, you know? So, you know, no, um, but, uh, she, yeah, really, really good stuff. Next, we're going to mention from uh, our good friend, Jess Franco, Venus and furs, 1969. I think this, <laughs> uh, you know, out, out of all the stuff we've done of Franco and we've only sort of dipped our toes into Franco. We've really done, well. I think five Franco films, which mm-hmm. means we are less than 5% into our, friend, <laughs> the, the, the Franco, uh, or voir, you know? Yeah. But this is probably his most coherent and complete film. I still say, you know, Maybe a personal favorite is like Vampires, Lesbos, or something like that, just because yeah. it's got Solid Ed Miranda. I mean, if this film had Solid yeah. Ed Miranda. Yeah, She Killed an Ecstasy is sort of still my favorite of, yeah. of his films. But yeah, no, Venus and Furs, it's got a whole lot to recommend it. A complete film, as you, as you say, kind of more. I mean, I said this before. Um, I'll, I'll kind of repeat it now. I mean, one of the issues with Franco is he made so many fucking films. Mm-hmm. And he was working on so much of a tiny budget. You know, you think like if he'd had a little bit more money, a little bit more time to kind of craft stuff and to sort of then maybe, you know, if he instead of making 160 films, if he'd made 30 films, then we'd probably have 15 that were really good. But as it is, we made 160 and we have like five or 10 that are like, you know, decent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but Venus and Furs, definitely one of his best. Didn't make my list more just out of it just didn't make my list but it's it's a really interesting film and it's really worth uh, checking out 
if he had the money to make this that he had for Mansion of the Living Dead. Because yeah. <laughs> he was given like a shit ton of money to make that. And basically what he did was film his girlfriend fucking a bunch of other women on holiday. I mean, I, he made his masterpiece of Mansion of the Living Dead. <laughs> I very nearly put Mansion of the Living Dead on my list. Honestly, <laughs> I kind of skipped past Venus and first like, yeah, yeah, then Mansion of the Living Dead. Oh, well, maybe. (laughs) But uh, I I think Venus and Furs is probably his most complete representation of his artistic vision. I think it gets all of his fetishes as well because it's beautiful women, women abused. Uh, women abusing men, women killing men, jazz music, and he uh, he gets to sit in with Manfred Mann and play music as well. Damn, he must have been he must have had a fucking great time making that film. Oh, like, yeah, it, yeah. it must have been great for him. But uh, yeah, Venus and Furs. There you go, Daniel. Next, sure. Deathline. Ah, nice. This is uh, what's his name? What's the lead in this? I'm sorry, my brain. I've had too much Gary alcohol. Sherman. What's that? Gary Sherman, director. No, no, Gary Sherman, director. Um, Donald Pleasance. Pleasance, yes. I apologize to everyone. I've had quite a bit of alcohol today. Hey, I, I've been forgetting shit all night. So Yeah, yeah. so Donald Pleasance, I love him in the horror stuff. I, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. It's great. I really want to see like him as a goofy detective guy. Mm-hmm. You know, in a series of these movies, but also this has the flip, like it's got that bit, which I love. And it's also got this amazing horror story mm-hmm. that I also love. And so it's two great movies that somehow both work together, despite the fact that totally they should not, but they do because it's just, it's just that good. Go back and listen to our episode. It's phenomenal. It's dark. It's funny. It's humane. It's got some great character work. It's one of the great like horror performances of all time from the uh, from the man in the uh, in the subterranean mm. tunnel, the the cannibal. Just some some amazing amazing stuff. That's another one of these horror movies that's sadly overlooked too. Like it's just one of those ones that not until you know the last. 10, 15 years has it really sort of come to light as being like a classic. And you're, you're definitely right. Donald Pleasance really kind of sells this film. I mean, not only do you get a, like a really great Donald Pleasance performance where he sort of carries his sort of half of the film, you get that little fun, little interaction between him and Christopher Lee, like where Christopher yeah. Lee just showed up for oh, a day. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just this fun little gem for anyone who's this big fan of all these sort of horror actors uh, of that generation. There's just this fun little spot. Like it's only a couple minutes, and it's fucking beautiful. And it's, not it's a- almost it's almost like Bond and Mond villain, but like in that in that kind of you know you can see this lifelong animosity that these people have for each mm-hmm. other. It's just so well written and so well performed and so well. And and again, even aside from the sort of horror movie stuff, if you take all that stuff out of it, and they're just doing like a normal kind of like murder mystery or something. Mm-hmm. still a great film and that that's such a just a mark of honor for a film of this kind it's 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 phenomenal yeah um next one i'll mention is uh one i just saw in the last little while because i ordered it on dvd and it showed up in the last week or so um this is breakheart pass from 1975 uh directed by tom grease and this is a Charles Bronson Western from the mid-70s that basically has him as a criminal who is escorted by a sheriff played by Ben Johnson, um, mm-hmm. who we, we, we've talked about in The Town That Dreaded Sundown. He was mm-hmm. the sheriff in that. 
he's basically scored him on a train and there's this murder mystery on the train. People are dying on the train. It's basically a military train that's uh, transferring medicine to cure a uh, outbreak in a fort. And so they're, they're heading towards this fort on the train and all of a sudden there's all these murders and there's this extra layer of uh, intrigue and suspense on the uh, sort of plot. Um, it sort of weaves the Western spy movies and um, and mystery as well, all, all together. And basically, you know, Charles Bronson, of course, he's the hero. So he is part of integral to getting to the bottom of who's killing who and, and what's going on. And uh, it's a really good action film. And honestly, all I have to say about this is if you're not behind an action film where Charles Bronson fights a guy on the top of the train and does a drop kick on the guy, then I don't know what you're doing with your life because it's I'm, fucking, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. It's, it's one of the better Charles Bronson films. It's actually one of the better Charles Bronson, Jill Ireland team ups because, you know, mm-hmm. he would bring her on for almost every movie he did in the seventies when they were married, you know? So it's, you have to take my wife onto this film. Otherwise no dice, you know, it's like, <laughs> so and it's one of the better ones. It's actually one of Jill Ireland's better performances because I, I feel like she's kind of weak in the, in several of the movies that they did together, but here she's really good. It's got a, just a cavalcade of great character actors from the seventies on this. It's just, everything's just firing on all cylinders in this film. So good stuff. Awesome. My next one, five guns West. This is my Dorothy Malone film. Again, I was going to do Written on the Wind, and then I went, like, I'm like you're going to, I figured you were going to pick it. Yeah. Five Guns West. Honestly, if you ask me which one of the Dorothy Malones I would rather rewatch first, it's this one. Um, this is a low budget Roger Corman Western. She is at the center of this film. She's amazing. As I said in our episode, you know, there are some issues with sort of the, the plotting and kind of how it ends and everything. Some of the action scenes are uh, yeah. leave a little bit to be desired. But uh, I love her at the center of this film. I love her. Um, you're really getting to exert her space, you know, so often, yeah. you know, I think in her career, in, in pretty much any actress's career at this time, you know, you just kind of get to be the supporting, you know, kind of player. Right. Um, but here she's very much at the center. Um, this is made very cheaply <laughs> in, you know, two weeks or whatever, but it's, it's a delightful film. It's really a, a kind of a lost gem. It's got a great plot. It's got a great tension. That's kind of at the center of it while not being too heavy. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. for me, it's just, this is just kind of a cinematic pleasure. And again, 1955, I've said this before, a lot of films from this era, you know, you kind of watch because you feel like it's, it's kind of homework. Like, Oh yeah, I definitely want to kind of, you know, kind of understand what's going on. This doesn't feel that way at all. This is a really fun watch. It's on YouTube. Please go watch it. Yeah. it's, It's one of the great, I mean, it's just, it's, it's Dorothy Malone being amazing, and you know what else do you want to hear? <laughs> She's just... It's great Corman before you know Corman got known for doing like the sci-fi horror stuff too. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, really well done. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. Next one I'll mention: Other Side of the Wind, twenty eighteen. Orson Welles, fucking basically. When we did this, it was, honestly, we were both taking a chance on this one. Is this going to be any good? It, it's got Orson Welles behind it, but at the same time, it's kind of a film that was not finished 
with him. It, it was. I kind of thought this was going to be a little bit of a mess, but I was interested in talking about it anyway, and I was going to use the excuse. Like, I, I said, we're doing this film as soon as it showed up, you mm-hmm. know? This is also on my list, so let's just take the excuse to talk about it. Um, yeah, okay. This is this is my favorite film of the year. Like, oh, shit, yeah, all right. Yeah, no. Nice. Um, of everything I saw this year, this was the... This was probably the... I'm not going to say the only film, but one of the only films that really set me back and made me like reconsider like how films are made and how films can mm-hmm. be made. This really pushed the envelope for me and it's 40 years old. And that's yeah. astonishing at how, at how well made that is. You know? To see the stuff that he's doing in this film. Mm-hmm. And so did F for fake make your list by the chance? By yes, yeah. it did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's <laughs> coming up next. Okay, actually. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, fucking the stuff he was doing in this, it just, it just solidifies. I, I see so many people these days saying, oh, Orson Welles, he's just that guy who made like one great film back in the day when it was mm-hmm. black and white and he's coasting on his reputation. Fuck that shit. This guy was a brilliant filmmaker and you see it here. You see this guy was innovating. He was trying new things. He was constantly expanding what he was doing. And he was making new films. And he was trying his best to make new films. The only reason you don't know about this shit is because he didn't get the funding. And these shit, this stuff didn't get released when it should have been released. Well, no. Other, if Other Side of the Wind had been released in 1976 or you know whatever, like if he'd been able to finish it. I think he could have had a a real career as this avant garde mm-hmm. filmmaker, but I don't think any. I, I think you you released that. I mean, it would have been roughly contemporaneous with Star Wars, and this is like right. the tail end of that kind of like seventies independent or not even independent, but sort of like filmmaker as auteur era. Like we're mm-hmm. right at the tail end of that, right at the beginning of the blockbuster era, and everything kind of goes in a completely different way. And so this is the end of that. I mean, I was talking to, to Jack Graham, who who uh, did our F for Fake uh, discussion with us, and uh, I think Wells would have kind of found a home on TV. He would have done some BBC documentaries or something, just right. make these weird things that he was going to make. But, you know, and, and sorry, to, I'm feeding into I mean, We get to skip one of mine here in a minute because I'm just talking <laughs> about it now. But, you know, F for Fake, I mean, the whole thing with that is, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, so far ahead of its time, only now in 2018 – are we seeing people really kind of pushing the envelope? And that's just nobody's on YouTube doing the same yeah. like kinds of things that he was doing uh, back then. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Again, Other Side of the Wind, it blew me the fuck away. I I was really kind of I was, I really was kind of of two minds going into it that okay, this is going to be problematic. It's like pieced together from whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not really complete, but it's also Orson Welles, so I'm going to expect to love kind of the directing and the editing and kind of get yeah. the things that I like from it, but also kind of recognize it's still kind of a broken piece of art. And that's not what this is at all. It's no. absolutely astonishing. And no, it, you can know nothing about how this was made and still appreciate it as a complete, like, brilliant work. That's yeah. the thing. It feels complete. Obstensively, it was. It, it was complete. It's just that it wasn't. It didn't get the post production. I mean, that's yeah. it was sitting around. It didn't have the post production. And I mean, sure, there's yeah, going to be. And the post production is so much of the like making of it. You know, mm-hmm. you can imagine. And again, we mentioned this. You know, when we did it the first time, you can imagine a really shitty edit of this that yeah. you know somebody would have thrown together. 
and put out there. So it's really good that they waited 40 years to, you know, you can imagine like the really shitty version that showed up on VHS after, you know, Orson Welles mm-hmm. died in 1986. It would be remembered as just like, Oh, this little piece of shit that Orson Welles was making. And then, you know, like 30 years later, they go back to the negatives and release the criterion disc or something mm-hmm. like that. It's kind of admirable that they didn't do that, that Oya Kodar, you know, sat on it and said, no, we're not fucking doing that. We're going to do this properly we're not gonna do yeah, it at all no no yeah. good on that woman man she yeah. fucking she saved it she really yeah. did good for, good for you oh your car yeah to look at this and to look at we might as well just talk about effort fake as well because that's yeah. my next one on this list so sure yeah go ahead you look at effort fake and there's a lot of what he was doing in other side of the wind that sort of comes out in effort fake just uh-huh. as far as his technique uh-huh. and people and you know effort fake was out there people knew about effort fake and it was kind of dismissed and kind of initially it was totally dismissed and not critically well received and it was just kind of like a curio that you know people picked up afterwards if other side of the wind was released before f for fake honestly I, I kind of question would f for fake have even existed if other well, side of the wind for fake was sort of uh, I feel like they're kind of being made around the same time because the photography mm-hmm. on Other Side of the Wind was 70 to 75 or whatever okay yeah, yeah. and f for fake was sort of was 73 but it was kind of made out of um, uh, like pre-existing, mostly pre-existing, and then kind of reshot. Kind of, but it was kind of released in seventy three, seventy four. So I imagine, I kind of imagine them as kind of one process that this is mm-hmm. Orson Welles kind of discovering this new way of making films. And to me, now that I've seen Other Side of the Wind, like I saw, I saw After Fake, you know, twenty years ago or right. whatever, you know, or at least ten years ago. And it was just this, you know, it blew me away when I saw it back then. And then seeing Other Side of the Wind and realized, like, no, this wasn't kind of a one-off. This was this was where he was going creatively. And that's the real tragedy for me of Wells mm-hmm. is, like, you know, like, people think, oh, yeah, he's, he's Citizen Kane and he made, you know, a few other films and, like, Touch of Evil was great. And, you know, he's got some, you know, but people think of it as, like, black and white noir. It's like, no, yeah. he was he was a vital filmmaker up until his very last times that he was making films and it's just yep. a shame that he couldn't get money for it i mean it's oh god it's so these films are so brilliant you know yeah um, it's just so fucking satisfying to see how good the other side of the wind is like yeah. it's fucking yes it's it's not a flop it's not a piece of shit it's actually fucking brilliant and it's just like okay orson wells you made it you did it like you yeah. you, you you did not you're you're not the failure everybody fucking tries to say you are these days. Like you, yeah. you're you're not the fucking guy who couldn't finish a film. You're you're just the guy who, as you know, in there for fake, it's like I'm gonna take the time to actually get the f- film fucking finished. I'm I'm not gonna be yeah. you know constrained by timelines and shit. Like you know, so it's it's good. It, it's fucking great. Well, in, in a in a modern like in a, in a you know Kubrick took a year to edit his films. Mm-hmm. You know? And I mean, as brilliant as Kubrick is, I mean, Kubrick is, you know, Kubrick has some talent, right? You yeah. know, like, you know, yeah, the, the kid, uh, that kid's going some places. That kid, yeah. that kid, that kid's got, got something in his brain. Like, he's doing <laughs> some good stuff, you know. But, like, certainly, I mean, look, no, no offense to Kubrick in saying, like, the complexity of the post production is not nearly what we see in Effort Fake or Other Side of the World. No, These no, are an order of magnitude more complex. Even today with digital editing, this is horrendously complicated. Re-edit and re-edit. I mean, you know, you imagine the number of hours it took 
in an editing bay to like figure this out. Oh, all, yeah. all the cuts he does in Other Side of the Wind, I, I can't even fucking begin to think his thought process, how he devises, because you know he had it in mind, like this is what these are these cuts are going to mm-hmm. be. And sure. you, you look at all the fucking fast cuts, like just in the first half hour of that film, the amount of cuts. He, like, he had to know this footage intimately. He had mm-hmm. to watch it and just have it in his head and know exactly, you know, what was there and you know like he was shoot he was editing in his head while he was shooting it i'm sure and oh take citizen kane away mm-hmm. and take citizen kane a touch of evil just throw them in the garbage and still orson wells that guy was fucking cinema like he lived and breathed it like yeah absolutely how many more do you have on your list let's just i like, have uh so if we take the other side of the wind off i have one two three four so you have four? I have four. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's so, good. Yeah. No, that was kind of why I said let's just go ahead and do F for fake and you know, so that way we're and uh, I'll let you I mean other side I do them in alphabetical order, so it's obvious when other side of the wind shows. Okay, uh, I'll if let you go other again. Wind was on my list, so let's just go ahead and do Ganjan Hess. Ah, nice. Yeah, no, this uh I feel really bad about our discussion of this, our our, our podcast about this, just because I kind of watched it late and was like, "Holy shit! I don't know what the fuck is going on." <laughs> like, there's so like this is this was definitely you know we could talk about a lot of films on this podcast, and this was kind of one of those like, yeah, two white guys should not be talking about. This <laughs> I think I think as two white guys, we did pretty admirably. I think we, I think we did pretty yeah. well, but I wish I had like, you know, there's always a challenge when doing these. Is like I like to kind of keep the film fresh in my head. For the podcast, I find that it just kind of works for, you know, to kind of keep it. But also, I like to have a little bit of kind of knowledge ahead of time and kind of have it process. And this was one where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll watch the film. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, it's kind of a vampire art film, but it's going to be fairly straightforward. And I really wish I'd given this an extra day and watched it twice before we recorded on it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is an amazing film, amazing performances. I still don't know like quite what the fuck is going on in some of this, you know. But I love it because of that. It's it's really got some it's it's doing that kind of I don't want to say avant garde or abstract, but it's really got some some really interesting stuff going on. Brilliant film and uh please go check it out. Um, yeah, no, it, it's really not only is just a sort of a, a really interesting horror film, it's it's a really singular art film from the 1970s yeah. like it really is i mean it's not even, i mean i i would almost not even class it as a horror film you know i mean it, it, yeah. it is and i'm not trying to denigrate horror as a genre i'm just trying to say like it's doing something else than you know like that you know although i think i think on again this is a white guy talking about black culture but like culturally I think it kind of does work as a horror film because oh, I no, think it, it does, does speak. It, it does work as that, and it does speak to that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I think also, like it, it again, complicated. It's even complicated to talk about how great this film is for two yeah. white guys because suddenly I say like, well, to call it a horror film is to ghettoize it, and then that by itself is well, to you know kind of use well, a racialized language, you know, and yeah, kind of it's like and, and, to it, and, you know. And in my opinion, the horror has nothing to do with the vampirism. Like the horror right. is is the you know the societal racial horror that's kind yeah. of like touched on in that, right? You know, absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah, huge complicated film. It's got a lot of layers to it. Please go check it out. There's a Blu-ray version that just came out in the last year or so, and 
just just fucking do it. Grab it up. Yeah. Next, we're going to mention this is one I just watched in the last week or so. This is another one of my uh, Christmas purchases. Actually, I was, I was like, I'm going to have myself a Merry Christmas. So I I pre-ordered a bunch of shit like a few weeks earlier. This is Live Like a Cop. Die Like a Man from 1976, directed by Ruggiero Diodato, who is best known for directing Cannibal Holocaust. But uh, this is his Policioteski dip into that genre. This has, I, I just totally blanked on his name, but uh, the lead from uh, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, that guy. <laughs> Ray Lovelock. Sure. Ray Lovelock. Sure. There we go. And uh, some other guy that I've never seen in anything else. It's almost like they're replacements for Franco Nero and Fabio Testi. It's almost, it almost feels like at 1976, it's like we've got to get the new Franco Nero and the new Fabio Testi ready for, you know, Italian cinema going into the 80s. And these two are the most just psychopathic, amoral cops you can think of. <laughs> like they're part of this elite police squad in Rome who don't care about rules, don't care about police procedure. They outright do preemptive strikes on criminals. It's like, they're going to do a bank job. So what we're going to do is we're going to show up before they do the bank job and we're just going to kill them all with silenced pistols. That's what they do. But this (laughs) is, from this genre, this is one of the most entertaining, fucking action-packed, Policioteskis I've ever seen. It's we should definitely do some more Policioteskis. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're I think we're going to do this one because this is it's over the top. It's gory because it's Ruggiero Diodato because he's basically like Fulci who also dipped into this genre at one point. He's got his signature sort of gore spots and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like the opening scene has a woman, her purse is snatched by a motorcycle thief, but her purse is attached to her wrist by a chain. So they try to pull the purse away and she gets caught in with the chain and she's pulled and dragged down the street by the motorcycle. And in like the opening few minutes, her head is smashed into like a fucking lamppost and the the motorcycle thief has to get off the motorcycle, detach her fucking wrist from the purse. And then like the two thieves kick the shit out of her and they get on the motorcycle and drive away. And then our two titular quote-unquote heroes because they're not really heroes because they're psychopaths themselves chase them down and there's this really amazing chase that you know was not sanctioned by anyone in authority like <laughs> it was just, it was just filmed in rome that day it's like right, yeah. we're just doing it and they, they have a motorcycle crash so one of the bad guys on the motorcycle he gets disemboweled by like like the pedal on the motorcycle or whatever the other guy gets thrown clear and is injured, and one of the cops just goes up to him and sort of pats him on the face, like, hey, how are you doing? And then breaks his neck, like, just snaps his neck. It's like, oh, he must have died in the accident. He broke his neck in the accident. <laughs> like, it's that kind of movie. Like, these cops are dirty as fuck, but at the same time, the movie sort of gets you behind them, and, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna cheer for him, maybe. Yeah, that sounds... <laughs> yeah we should definitely do this. Sounds good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing exercise in that sort of genre, and I thought it was really good. So, there we go. Awesome. Uh, my next one, another 2018 film, Ocean's 8. Uh, this okay. is the Sandra Bullock, uh, Kate Blanchett kind of sequel, reboot, whatever, to the Ocean's 11 franchise. Isn't Matt Damon in that one? No. No? Uh, I one. thought he had a cameo or something. I, I thought no, no. I there's the, the one character who gets the, uh, who has a cameo in, I don't have his name in front of me, and I apologize. He's the uh, Chinese acrobat from oh, okay. uh, Ocean's Eleven. He comes back, and <laughs> honestly, it's a surprise. It's like a, it's kind of a, a bit of a. You're not supposed to know that kind of going in. It's sort of one of those uh, kind of twists, like oh, it turns out that this guy, like they hired him at the end, and 
you know, did okay. some stuff. But uh, so he does show up kind of at the end. I kind of love these uh, kind of goofy heist movies. I actually mm-hmm. rewatched a little bit of Ocean's Eleven while we've been gone because we did like two episodes in two days and I've been kind of gone for two or three weeks. I was sitting in a hotel room in Florida because, you know, I went on vacation and I was sitting at night and I was drinking a little bit of uh, Jack Daniels and uh, Ocean's Eleven <laughs> was on. So I watched a little bit of Ocean's Eleven, uh, which is still a film I like. I, uh, mm-hmm. I actually never saw Ocean's 12 or Ocean's 13. It's I kind of I kind of got to... Yeah, I saw Ocean's Eleven. I really liked that. I'm I'm done. I don't need to see. Yeah, you, you but, don't need to see the other ones, but they're fine. But I saw Ocean's Eight, and it's very much. I mean, if anything, I think it's actually better than Ocean's Eleven. Hmm. You know, especially if you don't necessarily like compare them and you just sort of like treat it as kind of its own thing. I love Sandra Bullock in it. I love. There's like huge lesbian big dick energy. It's it's great. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's so much implied lesbianism in this film. It's amazing. It's It has a lot of the same kind of pleasures of the Ocean's Eleven movie. Like, it, it's got a lot of the, you know, the kind of the clever heist stuff. It's got a lot of the, you know, like, it, there's tension, but not really in kind of a ratcheting up kind of a like a real threat and more just kind of like, oh, these people are clever. They're going to get through the end. It's going to be fine. Also, a lot of amazing sexiness and, and great stuff. I, I don't know. It's just such a fun little movie movie i really enjoyed it it's directed by gary ross who you know sort of one of those he wrote big and he wrote dave back in the day wrote and directed pleasantville and then he did like the hunger games or i think one or two of the hunger games movies doing uh oceans eight but it's well directed it's stylish totally fun I really enjoyed it. I will definitely want to rewatch this at some point. Like, I, if this shows up on like TBS or whatever, you know, kind of late night TV, mm-hmm. like, I will sit and watch this and, and be perfectly happy with it. It's that kind of movie. And so it goes to my list. It's great. Nice. Next one I'm going to mention is Truck Turner from 1974 from uh, Jonathan Kaplan. This is basically Isaac Hayes, basically his black exploitation starring vehicle. And he's fucking great in it. Oh my God, he's so good in it. This is one of the best black exploitation movies I've ever seen. It's well, just. With a name like Truck Turner, how can it be bad? You know? <laughs> it, it's wall to wall action. It, it plays off Isaac Hayes' just coolness. He's just a really cool dude, and mm-hmm. it works. And. It it is one of these movies, some of the movies that uh sort of highlighted Fred Williamson as like just being the biggest badass in the world. This one makes Isaac Hayes look like the coolest badass motherfucker you're ever gonna see in a film. Uh it's got Yapit Koto in it as the bad guy. Um it's just got these insane oh, seventy five? Seventy four, yeah. Oh, Yapit Koto would have been like what, like twenty three or something? Something like that. And yeah. and it, it's got this insane shootout in the hospital, which is just fucking crazy. Um, it's got great action scenes. It's got an Isaac Hayes soundtrack in it, of course, which is generally good, except for when Isaac Hayes is singing, which I just, I, just my personal preference. I don't think Isaac Hayes is ever that great as a vocalist, but his, his soundtrack music is still really good. And yeah, like if you're, if you're looking for an introduction to black exploitation and you want to be like super entertained, this shit is good. Like this is like top of the line fucking black exploitation filmmaking. It's so good. We should definitely do this. This sounds like a ton of fun. I'm down for this definitely. Right on. Your next one. Another. I saw this this week. This is one that uh, the one uh, superhero movie I put on my list uh, this year. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I saw this this week. It it didn't quite make my honorable mentions, but it's like right up there. This I was. 
amazed at how good this film was. Yeah, and it's crazy. My expectations were high on this. Now, you didn't see this on a big screen, I assume. No, I didn't. I uh, That's why I'm reserving like putting it on the list, because I saw it in a really shitty I place. I saw this on a big screen, and dear fucking God, some of the sequences in this film are I hate to like put it on that like level of well you have to see it on a big screen or else you kind of don't get it but some of this stuff I mean if you've seen the film you don't really get how enveloping some stuff is unless you see it on a big screen I got that impression yeah that said what I love about this I mean I would totally do this film as a a discussion at some point we should do Uh, it you know uh, I've seen people say greatest uh, superhero movie of all time I'm not 100% 100% on board with that, but it's I'm like there. 90% on board with that. It's like, up there. you know, it's, it, it may really very is. well be the greatest superhero movie of all time. It is able to kind of do the comic book thing of kind of having multiple universes, mm-hmm. tells the story. It relies on the fact that we've now seen Spider Man rebooted with this film four times, although he's rebooted six times in this film. So, you know, like, you know, it, g- it goes right back to the Toby McGuire stuff. It, it, men- yeah. it notices that stuff. Like it, it mentions it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and the, uh, God, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away, honestly, in mm-hmm. terms of the film. I mean, I feel like I've already maybe given a little bit too much away, but even beyond all the kind of multiverse stuff, all the sort of like great action stuff and all the, you know, like it's got a real core, character i mean miles morales mm-hmm. uh the relationship between his father and his uncle um the way that he feels kind of torn between like a lot of different worlds even before you get to the multiverse stuff the relationship he has with uh, a certain female character yeah. <laughs> um it's 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 so well written it's so well performed it's so good and it's so honest and authentic also just the visuals i mean again just the way the city looks like the way new york the way brooklyn looks yeah. in this film i have been to brooklyn brief for a couple of days like mm-hmm. 10 years ago this film just gets it completely the, the experience of being in a big city it just this film breathes so well it is phenomenal Literally, I got to the end of this film and I just turned to my wife because we saw it together and just went, we need to see this again. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, she and I will see this again before it leaves theaters. It is absolutely astonishing. One of the best films I've seen this year. I mean, had it not been for Other Side of the Wind, I might have actually put this as best film I saw this year. I like, could see that. I have to see this in like a, a good version. Like I just saw it in a shitty like cam recorded version on Put Rocker. No, you have but, not actually seen this film. I, I promise you. Yeah. But even there, I got the impression that, like, yeah, this is great. I've seen that animation style done in a more primitive form on TV. Like, there was mm-hmm. a Batman series a couple years ago that sort of used this sort of sort of same 3D uh, sort of process. Like, I don't know if it's the exact same process, but it looked similar to this. But it's so much more advanced here. Like, at times, you're just lost in it, and it looks like live action. Like, it looks that yeah. good. Well, it's not even like it looks, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's not even that it looks live action as much as it looks like animation, but has sort of the, it looks like you're peering into another universe. It, it looks, looks like, like you're, you're watching a motion comic book is what. Right, it, exactly. It looks like you're peering into a world that looks like this, but has mm-hmm. the sort of depth of reality that the real world has. And that's kind of the, you know, because it's pretty, I mean, again, I put the Incredibles two as most disappointing film I saw this year. Once I saw this, it just kind of solidifies how disappointing that is. <laughs> because 
you look at that, and The Incredibles 2 is a film that just it goes by the numbers, right? It mm-hmm. just sort of says, okay, we've got to do this. We've got to have an adorable baby. We've got to have... Have you seen The Incredibles 2? No. Mm-hmm. you got to have an adorable baby. We're doing superheroics. We've got, like, action scenes and everything. It's by the numbers. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just kind of doing its thing. This is a film that lives and breathes. It has characters. It has life. It has stakes. It has humor. Mm-hmm. It's funny like it's deeply it funny at times and yet it's um exploring some of the really deep character drama and re- there's stuff in this film that's just heartbreaking mm-hmm. um and it, it just turns on a dime amazing voice performances amazing animation i fucking love this movie i got probably more laughs out of this film than anything i saw this year Yep. Um, and I legit teared up in certain scenes in this. Like it, 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 it affected me that much. It was that well done. So yeah. there you go. And I, I can't wait to watch it again in a better form. Let's put it that yeah. way. And I, I was looking at the Wikipedia page. Even apparently, even before the film was released, like this has like a ninety-seven percent on yeah. like Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. Which nothing ever gets that high, right? You know, <laughs> like it's, we're definitely going to get another film in this series, mm-hmm. but we're also going to get some like sideline movies with some of the like secondary characters. Like, we're gonna oh, get, I mean, like, come some on, Spider Woman. Like, like, yeah. uh, you know, again, I don't want to give uh, too much away for people who haven't seen it, but we are going to get some some sideline stuff, and I'm hoping. We get a whole like universe of films set. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Some sideline stuff. Let's be fucking real. There's going to be TV series and movies out of this. Well, I hope we don't get so much that it turns into shit. That's kind of the. Well, it might, but I mean, just alone, like I want to see that fucking Nicolas Cage Spider Man in a movie. Like, oh yeah, no, (laughs) I want that shit. Holy fuck! And I love how all the different Spider persons in this film. They all have their different visual style, and oh, yet yeah. they, they still integrate it all into this one universe, and it all mm-hmm. works. Yeah, you, yeah it's, it's, you get Spider Ham in this fucking film. It's astonishing. It's it's <laughs> literally, it's just beyond anything that you could imagine. It, uh, it might be the best thing Marvel's done in like ten years. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna do a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think that I mean. This is not part of the MCU, although I, they may very well connect it in at some mm. point. Uh, I would not, I would not be surprised at all if they do. I love a bunch of the stuff in the MCU. This very easily is the best thing, yeah, like better than anything in the MCU. And I actually really enjoy the MCU. So you know, there we go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, next, we're going to mention. Uh, so you have like what? One more or two more? I got two more. Okay. I have one more after this. After okay. this. So next one I'm going to mention, 2018 from Joel and Ethan Cohen, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, uh, God. I did not get a chance to watch this this year. Oh, my God. I, I, want, I have I, It's literally been on my list. I've been sick enough that I don't want to like hit play on it. Mm-hmm. So I've been like, re-watching The Office and watching Mr. Sensei <laughs> 2000 instead. This is on my I need to watch this in 2019 list. I've I've watched this four times now. Um oh, every, time every time I've watched it, I loved it more. First time I watched it, I wasn't too sure because coming some of the segments I was like, okay, it's a little iffy. Because it's, it's basically an anthology. It was supposed to be a TV series, mm-hmm. but it was turned into a film. So they brought six episodes of that series and 
shorten them down into film size. Some of them are a little bit longer. Some of them are super short. It's fucking amazing. It's basically like a uh, a, a taster's platter of of the Coen brothers in a, in a way. Although it's all, you know, the Coen brothers have been doing a lot of Western stuff recently. Mm-hmm. And I think they've kind of nailed that genre really well. Yeah. I mean, um, True Grit, their, their version mm-hmm. of True Grit is a fucking masterpiece. It is. I it's, mean, you know, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, No Country for Old Men is essentially a Western. Um, yeah, which I have, uh, there are people on my Twitter feed who, uh, disparage that film. No well, they're, all men. they're dummies. Uh, well, uh, talk about it in terms of its politics and in terms of kind of discussing the deeper philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. They are wrong. I have a very sophisticated argument <laughs> in that this film is actually, uh, representing the best kind of anti-fascism. Which, if you and I ever discuss the film, we will get into, I promise. Well, we should probably think about discussing it this new year, then, yeah. This is fucking brilliant. It captures all the thematic and tonally sort of resonant themes that the Coen brothers have touched on in their entire careers. It's kind of like a best of the Coen brothers, in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although, Although it's all distilled through a Western. It is, my God, the performances in this, the casts in this... The the opening one, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the titular uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is the opening segment in this. It is like a Bugs Bunny cartoon in a way, but at the same time, it's like the deep, dark side of the singing cowboy trope of early Western mythology and in, in film. And at the same time, it mirrors that with Quentin Tarantino Hateful Eight violence, or yep. actually, actually more like Django Unchained violence. Mm. Uh, and... It's fucking brilliant. Like, it's one of the best things I've seen on film in a long time. And then there's this segment with fucking Tom Waits. Tom Waits deserves a fucking Oscar nod for this. It is a brilliant performance. He was made to have this role for him. Like, he, he was born for this as a old gold mining prospector who goes into this valley digging for gold. And everything on that segment is note perfect. There's this great fucking segment at the end where there's all these five characters in a stagecoach going to a a nebulous destination uh, where the three of the characters realize that two of the other characters are not quite what they seem. And everything in this film, every segment is a meditation on death of some sort in the old West. Like it's, it's kind of a play on that. It's just full of surprises. It's full, full of fucking delights. Some of these segments are super fucking dark. There's a segment with Liam Neeson in this that is just, oh my God, really? You went that fucking dark? Like the Coen brothers, and they just do it effortlessly. Fuck these two guys. <laughs> They're making movies so well, so effortlessly. Like they just seem like they just, off the top of their heads, they do this shit. And it's fucking brilliant. But, but, but you know, you know, they're, they're, you know, their uh, process is. <laughs> one of them writes the other into a corner, mm-hmm. so right into a corner, and then the other one, like, then they hand it to the other one, and then the other one has figured out the way out of it. And uh, <laughs> you know, the reason they do it that way is, you know, if I write into a corner and then like I give it to to Ethan or whatever, and then Ethan has to figure out how to get out of it, no fucker in the seat is going to figure it out in thirty seconds before you know it happens. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's their process. Where did I learn that? 
which slide did I tell by William Goldman? Which <laughs> all, all I gotta say is that this film validates the Netflix movie. It it really yeah. does. Like people, I mean, people people shit on the quality of a lot of Netflix stuff. This is fucking great. I feel like we should talk about the Netflix model at some point in a mm. in a place that isn't this. But you know, for a long time, like uh, or at least for a while, you know, five years ago, even when you and I first started doing this podcast. I had a lot of nice things to say about Netflix because they just had licenses for everything because mm-hmm. like streaming rights were super cheap. And then like everybody wants to kind of own their stuff and kind of, you know, sell it in their, in their own little markets. Right. And so Netflix has switched to doing their own content and then they, you know, just whatever else they can, they can kind of get for, for whatever, but it's not like one stop shopping anymore the way it was, you know, five years ago or seven years ago or whatever. That's unfortunate, but they've mostly managed to actually make it like, yeah, it's worth my, you know, nine ninety nine a month or whatever mm-hmm. I'm paying for Netflix to, to have the stuff. They're doing a pretty good job, better than uh, a lot of the other services. Like I do pay for Amazon prime. That's mostly for delivery of like, you know, cheap delivery of stuff. And for, uh, you know, they do have a kind of a big library of, you know, movies, you know, but they have, uh, they have a big library of mostly crappy VHS burns of movies, <laughs> which, you know, for this podcast actually kind of works for kind of works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I might consider not paying that, but also that's like, <laughs> yeah, fine. You know, uh, what's your next one, sir? Oh uh, yeah. I have one more. Um, you mentioned it already. It was on your honorable mention. Um, the swinger. Uh, yeah, and, and Margaret. Uh, God, her bum in those fucking. <laughs> I mean, the uh, only the only thing I'm gonna say is like that uh, that dance that she does. Yeah, and uh, again, I'm not gonna force you to put like whatever music you want in this, but I think the song that she's dancing to and that that sequence uh, where she's uh, doing the, the dance with the book, um, that is that may be my single greatest. Yeah, uh, and Margaret's. Super fucking yeah. hot. The swinger is great. <laughs> the swinger is great. That dance sequence of her walking in and then the, you know, I said in our review of that, that it's like she's living in a musical. Mm-hmm. And I have watched that little like three minute sequence probably two dozen times. It's gorgeous filmmaking. I mean, beyond just Anne Margaret in 1966, <laughs> looks like Anne Margaret in 1966, which. It's not an unpleasant thing <laughs> no, to enjoy. It's not too hard. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not like uh, I'm not like saying we shouldn't enjoy it for that. But just in terms of like the filmmaking, in terms of the choreography and the dancing and the the filmmaking, and I I admire that sequence as much as any sequence I've watched in any film that I've seen this year. It's it's phenomenal. I know it didn't make your you know your, your top ten. I fucking love this movie. I like it's it's got some problematic shit in it, but man, this was a lot of fun for me. And uh, you know, this was this was my favorite bit of Anne Margaret this year. I mean, you know, we we watched a, a bit of we also watched Viva Las Vegas, and for mm-hmm. me, this was the the good version of Viva Las Vegas because you know to watch Elvis kind of yeah. like, be wooden <laughs> and stupid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I admire that sequence. I've admired stills of that sequence several dozen times as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go to my last film on, on my list here. Sure. Uh, and uh, this is Mandy from 2018 
by Panos Cosmatos, who oh, did yeah, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Many oh, my nice God. things about this. Yeah, I love this film so fucking much. It is just uh, I know some people. Uh, there's been some dissenters out there saying, "Oh, it's too slow. It takes too long to to come together." Fuck you. The whole point is that it's a fucking visual delight and it's emotional. Um, it builds. The performances are great. Nicolas Cage here, he's not necessarily reined in so much as he's understood by the director who's directing him and knows how to mm. use him. The quote-unquote Cage rage sequences in this are the best mm. ever that he's done, as far as I'm concerned, because they have emotional weight to him. There's this sequence where he's, after his love of his life, Mandy, is killed in front of him. He goes into a bathroom and drinks a bottle of fucking vodka and then goes through like three or four stages of grief. And I find it fucking riveting and believable. Uh, I love how the camera looks at him while he's doing this. Because at a, at a point, the camera is almost scared of him. Like it, it, it draws back from him almost like it's not sure if he's going to fucking strike the camera like a fucking snake. It's that fucking good. Mm. Just, just, just the way that Cosmato sort of intuits what Cage is going to do and how he's going to do it. It feels so natural and fucking organic the way he does it. And then, I mean, the rest- N- Nicholas Cage gets a lot of, you know, gets a lot of stick for being, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a ham and like he does a lot of shitty movies. Right. But I have never been on the like Nicholas Cage is a bad actor train. No, I, I no. think that's I think that's a really simplistic take. I think he's a broad actor, but then he, he is. gets those fucking Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Welles We've already liked. I mean, we talked about him as a director, but like you know, yeah, he's broad. He 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 does the thing that he does. Uh, he he kind of goes into crazy places, but being willing to go into those places is also kind of where you get great performances. He just needs a great director, and it sounds That's... like from everything that I've heard about this film, it's it's one of those like one of my favorite kind of. Sorry, not to not to kind of interrupt you talking about the film. Mm-hmm. But, one of my favorite movies from again, the last 20 years, I guess now, is Matchstick Man, one of my great uh, Nicolas right. Cage performances. Yeah, it's like a crazy Nick Cage performance, but it's built into this movie that makes it make sense, you yeah. know? And it sounds like Mandy is kind of the same, the same kind of thing. Like it's, you know, you let him kind of do the thing he's doing, but also it's framed or it's, it's built into this, this kind of, you know, world that justifies it, you know? Mandy herself, the way... Her character seems to, even after she dies, inhabits the entire world of the film. Um, she's she's an artist. Uh, the art she does is very much informed by sort of the uh, tour fantasy novels from the early 80s, late 70s mm-hmm. kind of thing. Her visual style starts, even after she dies, it's almost like she haunts this film in a way. Mm-hmm. Where her visual style bleeds into the, uh, basically into the surroundings of the film. And then it becomes like Nicolas Cage going to hell basically and taking revenge on all these people who wronged him and killed her. Uh, I mean, you, you can argue, okay, there's some frigid, there's some fridging here because Mandy gets killed and then it's like Nicholas Cage is avenging her. That, that's what sets him off kind of thing. Sure, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's so minimal and the minimalist performances by Cage and the actress who does Mandy before Cage just goes off the fucking rails it's so well done because you get what these characters are without them even saying anything. Like you get, there's this uh, through line of past trauma that inhabited both of their lives and they came together and found each other. And they were like soulmates, basically like they completed each other. 
Mm-hmm. And then once she's taken away from Cage, his life is destroyed. There, there's no redemption for him or anything like that. It's just he just needs to avenge her death. And then after that, his life is done. Like it, it, it's it's all over for him. And you get that emotionally from the performance. And you get that sort of the undercurrent to this phantasmagoric gore fest that happens in this film, which is as crazy as shit. And, you know, Mick, Nicolas Cage, like, just chopping in the motherfuckers with chainsaws and fucking axes and shit and all this blood and craziness, but it's all still grounded in uh, Cosmatos' visual style and everything. And like, it's, it's everything that beyond the black rainbow should have been maybe. Yeah. I mean, beyond the black rainbow was our like second review. I think it was like, Mm -hmm. episode, and uh, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting film, but it's also a, kind of a stylish, you know, a, a little bit of a swing and a miss. I think you know, kind it's of uh, it, it's, it's kind yeah. of a it's kind of a Kubrick pastiche that doesn't quite connect. I guess right. is the best way to say it. But but this one, it, it feels like if Cosmatos never does anything else again, this is like the movie that okay, he's he's legit. You know, that's 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 all I really have to say about it, except for like flat out flat out reviewing it. So yeah, there legit. You go. Mm-hmm. That's the that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so are we done? We've been doing this for like two and a half hours almost. So yeah, yeah. almost yeah. So uh yeah, I guess we're done. So uh Daniel, apparently you're still programming this podcast for yeah, the last for I'll this program while, so. as long as you want me to. I'm 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 happy to keep torturing you with great movies. Yeah. Know, was... Or movies, you know, depending. <laughs> so here's here's where here's where we go. We're doing Kurosawa next week. Nice. Stray dog. Mm-hmm. Or Seven Samurai is kind of the question. Uh, Stray Dog is going to be a little bit more of a straightforward, watch a movie, enjoy it, kind of a crime film kind of thing. Seven Samurai, better film, but is a much more complicated uh, prep work for, I think, both of us. So I'm going to kind of leave it up to you. What do you want to do? I'd say we'll, we'll play it safe for now and maybe do Stray Dog, I think, yeah, is a yeah, good idea. Should. I, it's a great film. I love the film. Um, I've watched this with the uh, sort of not director's commentary, but the uh, you know sort of the Criterion commentary mm-hmm. from which uh, was many years ago. But like I have, I have a lot of really, I have a lot of thoughts about this film. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a great way to start the year. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, next week, Stray Dog. And uh, so my plan is for the next four weeks is to do like four. Uh, great directors that uh, we haven't that we've never done before on this podcast that's kind of the plan so uh we're gonna start with kurosawa and uh most of them are not american yeah (laughs) yeah no good stuff i just want to briefly say uh thank you to everybody who has been listening for the uh the past year 2018 we've definitely picked up some new listeners and it's been very much appreciated i really hate everyone who has listened in 2018 (laughs) I think anyone who's listened to any episode in 2018 should go fuck themselves. That's kind of my uh, <laughs> strategy. <with this. laughs> uh, but no, no. no, of course that's not true. I I do appreciate everyone who's listening, and especially if you tweeted us or like say mm-hmm. nasty things about me uh, on this podcast and want me to leave. I really appreciate all those people. <laughs> so it's great. But no, it's it's been great. We've we've had a lot of good lister interaction this year, uh, more than any other year. We've had more sort of guests this year than any other year as well. Yep, uh, which has been good. 
yeah, we kind of just look forward to 2019 being even better. I think we got some cool stuff to uh, dump into, and uh, uh, I, lo- I look forward to it. So, uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. You can find a, a podcast that I do with some uh, British friends of mine, or uh, UK friends of mine, I should say. I don't want to, you know. Uh, ruffle any feathers uh, <laughs> wrong with authority it's a podcast about movies about history and the history they're about and uh, also whatever else we decide to do yeah. <laughs> on that feed because we can't ever like actually just do a podcast it's about a thing we've always <laughs> got like random other things going in but you can find that wrong with authority.blogspot.com yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff there i've got some stuff i need to edit and get that out there that I think people are going to like, but there's, there's also great stuff already out there. God, I'm it's, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> my my brain is, my brain is done uh, trying to word. So. Yeah. Same here, but you can find us at tmbdos.pubb.com. You can find all the requisite links there for Apple podcasts, YouTube, Facebook group, join the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Best place to get in touch with us, find out what's going on, suggest films for us, all that good shit. And yeah, 2019 coming up, bitches. So uh, look forward to that. And uh, we'll see you this year, basically. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. been listening to they must be destroyed on site for other episodes our apple podcast youtube and facebook group links as well as 
podcasts, and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.